there and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. To learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Bible. Wait, what? I am here today. First time I've actually sat down to record a podcast. I was just saying to my guest, Shannon, and I was the first time I've been recording a podcast for over a month. I feel like I'm out of practice, but I'm sitting across the table from our first time guest, Shannon Moyer, who is no stranger to the microphone in any shape, way, shape, or form. So you'll keep me in track, won't you, Shannon? Uh, look, it's uh, I'm out of practice. What can I say? You are not we'll, out we'll of practice. We'll see what happens. Gosh. Look, you can tell, folks, if you've never met Shannon before, you can tell just from his voice that he is cut out for radio and podcasting. It's been a while since any air times happened. Is so right? this is a... This is a it's a comfortable feeling, oh, I must admit. You, you fit right in. Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Shannon, for those that are listening who don't know who you are. Obviously, our Thoreau crew know you, but others from our other locations and other people listening. Tell us a bit about yourself and your experience and your roles and so on. Oh, gee. Uh, that's the part I haven't written down. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just threw that on him. Oh, gee. Um, I'm married to my wonderful wife, Vanessa, two kids, uh, Elijah and Abby, uh, being part of... C3 Thrall for over 20 years. Love it here. Um, Shannon's a board member on our board here at Thrall. Yep. Uh, work up at the Tops Conference Centre. Been up there for 11 years. Uh, been in the not-for-profit cent- uh, sector for over 20 years now. Yep. Uh, love uh, the not-for-profit sector. It's uh, it, it provides... Uh, a unique way to work mm. uh, and be able to give back into uh, my community. I, I really do love uh, background in uh, some radio, which uh, has been a lot of fun, uh, a lot of early mornings. So yep. I do not miss that one little bit. Yep. Uh, although I still do early you mornings. Still do early mornings. Son uh, up for school. He, he uh, is at Edmund Rice, so he wakes up very early. Bit of a tr- of bit of a hike from him from bit of a hike. The top of the, the top of the tops all the way down to Edmund Rice School in Wollongong, isn't it? It is. So uh, we're still getting up early, but uh, don't have to think yeah. on your feet early, yeah, which is sure. quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> and you've done, you know, you've done spruiking and all anything to do with 
with your dulcet voice has been you put to yeah. emceed a lot of weddings. Yep. Uh, I did that for twelve years. Mm. I can't believe I did that for twelve yep. years. So I've seen I've been to a lot of parties. Yep. I've been to a lot of parties. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but it was a great season in life that is now very much over, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, so you're happy uh, with what you're doing now. <laughs> I'm very happy with what I'm doing uh, Friday and Saturday nights uh, for my family now, which is great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, we've been wanting to get Shannon on the podcast for a while. He's a very busy man, so we're fortunate to do it. And uh, for those watching on YouTube, we've got a Christmas tree behind us, and you'll be confused if you've been keeping up with, uh, with the pattern because uh, – We've pre-recorded a whole lot of messages before and after this one with no Christmas tree. <laughs> uh, but this is the, I think this is the second last one I've got to record for the year. I'll do one more with Jeannie, which is for the Christmas New Year break in between. So uh, we, we're sort of recording this in real time. It's going to be edited and uploaded um, pretty much straight away, this one. So uh, we've been waiting. Shannon's son, Elijah, has been through a knee operation where you've, you were just telling me before how you saw the provision of God in all of that. Yeah. Um, and he's sitting here with a his foot, his own foot in a moon boot because he's done his Achilles tendon, haven't you? Yeah, partially ruptured. Thought, you know, if we're all going to go down, we might as well go down together. So <laughs> I'm sure your wife's not so happy about that, mate. Look, we're we're getting lots of laughs uh, as a family uh, as we uh, hop out of vehicles with multiple <laughs> sets of crutches. It's a, <laughs> it's a good laugh. Uh, oh, that's good. I'm glad you can still <laughs> laugh at it. Well, yeah, so our theme today is on provision as we wrap up our prayer series and head into our Advent series. And so uh, this is, yes, this is, I'm just making sure this is the last one. This is provision. Mm. We've been talking about praise with Kenny. We, we've done, uh, we've done, we've done praise. We've done lament with Kenny. I can't even remember who I did. It might've been Jeannie, I think. It might've been Jeannie that we talked about uh, protection and now we're doing uh, provision today. And so not all these chapters are necessarily linked directly to the theme of provision. We're trying to get a mix between the two uh, of keeping some consistency, but we've got, you've obviously pulled out some thoughts in there along the way. And yeah, and uh, so we're going to, we're going to kick it off. We're going to go through our Old Testament scriptures and then we'll head into the book of Luke after that. So we'll begin folks with Psalm 37. Okay, Psalm 37. Now, this one, I, I sat with this and four parts just popped out for four me. Four parts. Four parts in this psalm. Um, and so I thought, you know, for this psalm, this this psalm, I suppose, unlike the other verses, some of them sort of the, the other scriptures didn't set themselves out like this psalm did. Mm-hmm. So I think I've set this one out differently to the the other verses and scriptures that we were given, um, I was given. So I want to set this one out, up differently. So this one was set out for me in four parts. And so the first part uh, was verses one to six. And I found that these really focused on our behaviors. So this was focused on us and us committing to the Lord. And so it was us about you know, don't worry. Don't worry about the wicked. Mm. This is almost like David telling us to behave a certain, respond in a certain respond way. Respond in a certain Activate way. Activate our faith. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. So don't worry about the wicked. Don't envy the wrongdoers. You know, we can so so often focus great, on, Shannon. hey, look out over here. Like these people are getting away with this stuff. Yeah. They're getting away with it. And yep. maybe if I could just get away with it, I can get ahead. You know, we can I cut corners too and get away with it. Yeah, yeah look, yeah. if I just cut that corner yeah. and I lost my bit of integrity there, no one's gonna notice. But our father notices. Mm. You know, so you know, don't envy those wrongdoers. 
trust the Lord. Even in those hard times when other people are getting ahead, you know, trust the Lord. This is our behaviors that we're focusing on here. And then take delight in the Lord. And I'm like, okay, this is the first question. What does that mean, Rowan? What does it mean to take, take delight, delight in, the, in Lord. the Lord? Yes, that's a good point. So the old versions say, would delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The NLT says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? Mm. What is the, the word delight for me conjures up a, um, a lightness, like a, a joy, a an ease. So I'm I'm thinking about the fact that to delight in God is to focus on Him and not on the problems that I'm focusing on. All that you just made a great point there, where David's urging his people to take their eyes off the problem and say, "Don't worry about the others and their integrity. You you just focus on your relationship with the Lord." So I'd be interested in doing a, a bit of a. Let me, why don't we just do it? I, I like the idea. I'm just do a word search there on what the word means. Um, mm. In the original, in the original language, because that'll help us to understand maybe a bit more of what it means. Because I, th- we, well, when we delight in someone, we're joyful, we're happy. Yeah, that's what I had. Is down. that what you had? Down? Yeah, yeah, being joyful in Christ. Yes, um, and being proactive in our relationship with our God. It was, it was a. There's a proactiveness of being, you know, delighting in the Lord. Yep. Not just oh, the, the Lord's there, but delighting. Del- it's a, it's a constant. It's, there's a proactivity yes. in that. Yeah, you're not just being passive. You're actually doing something in focusing. Forward. Yes. And I think sometimes as, as Christians, we can sort of just sit and go, oh, it's it's about our everyday tasks. But actually, no, There's there should be a fun, a lightness, a, a, a joyfulness. That's great. Um, a funness. Yes. To our well, Pastor Christianity. Chris Pringle always says God is fun. Got yeah. to have fun as a factor in oh, God. Yeah. There's, if, if, you, if you're reading the stories of Jesus and you're not laughing at some of the things yeah, and the jokes that he is literally cracking, yep. that you're missing. You're missing the fun factor that's there. You are missing the fun factor he, of he Jesus. Was, he's delightful, isn't he? Oh, Jesus totally. is delightful. And and I, I love that sometimes the disciples are just not getting it. <laughs> they, it the, it's the, almost the, like he sits there to deliberately oh, trick them, doesn't he? Every time. Yeah. It's just going across his head. Yeah, that's their, right. Their heads. Their heads, Absolutely. Well, here's the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is anug, correction if I get that wrong, but it says it's a primitive root and it has interest. This is interesting. I like what you say. This says it comes from the meaning of to be soft or pliable. Ah, okay. Isn't that interesting? So if it talks about that, it talks about this not easily bent out of shape kind of concept. I think that that's, that's fascinating to me, to be soft, to be delicate, to be dainty. To, wow. to so it's used in multiple different ways. The root word comes forward, but if I'm thinking soft and pliable, I'm thinking of someone who sees the the, the righteous getting ahead and the unrighteous getting ahead and seeing the wickedness in the world, but not being bent and twisted out of shape about that. But going, hey, in the end, it's all going to come out in the wash. Yep. I'm going to be flexible. Mm. You know, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. Yep. You know that that's isn't that interesting that that's. That's the root word in the Hebrew that's come out there. Yeah. Which doesn't yep. in the f- – at first I thought, well, how does that apply to delight? But now I'm thinking, yeah, it does actually pl- apply to delightfulness. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. And the other one I had was to take pleasure in him. Yes. Yeah. That there's there's some – you know, that we can, again, get caught up in the day-to-day, but mm. like see the small pleasures, the those small delights. Yeah. And enjoy those moments. And take the moment and live take in the moment. Take the moment. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yep. 
And if you do that, it will help you take your eyes off the problem. Because mm. this is, is that the end of the first part you were looking at? No, no there's, there's one more, which is commit oh, everything yeah. you do to the Lord. Yeah. Everything you do. Yeah. Not just the big stuff. Yep. But even the small stuff. Little things. And so out of that, I was like, I looked at that and I went, wow, as I align my heart to the will of God, then my heart starts to align more and more and more, even in the big things and the little things, everything starts to align. So my gifts, my skills, my strengths, all that starts to align. That's great. So it doesn't matter about what the wicked do or any of that sort of stuff. My worry starts to ease. Because now you're in alignment with a bigger picture. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. And I look at, you know, worry is just, you know, it steals so much from, from us in our world. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. you know, and, and we're going to talk about worry several times. On. <laughs> yes, it's going to come up, isn't it? But in these it, passages, you know, yeah. oh, it just steals so much. Um, but, uh, you know, is, if I'm delighting in the Lord, if I'm aligning my heart and, and I focus on that, then it says he will give me the desires of my heart. Yes. And I'm like, I sat. I sat for half an hour with what are the desires of oh, my heart? That's a really good exercise, Shannon. What's the good desires call. of my heart? Sit down and reflect on those things. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not necessarily the desires of God's heart because mm. he's mm. made me unique mm. for a purpose, mm-hmm. for his purpose, mm-hmm. that I'm here. Yep. And so he's like, oh, no, they're not the same as They're not the yours. same as my desires. No, that's right. And he goes, I've, yep. I've given you specific desires that I've put you on earth to accomplish, and I want you to fulfill those. Mm. And so, like, I just, I, I was so excited for half an hour just going, oh, wow. Like, as I, I dug down and, and got to, and, you know, what what's the the root desire? Yeah. What, what's the, yeah, those, those, those actual core desires that, that I'm here for? That there was just so much joy, and then I was back delighting in the Lord. Beautiful. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is perpetuates itself." Yeah, man. that's yeah. right. So when I looked at those, I was like, "Wow!" When we focus on those behaviors, then there's fruits in that. Yep. Um, and yeah, so that for me, I was I got really excited. I love that. You've just helped me with my sermon on Sunday too. <laughs> You're not going to get to hear it at Thoreau, but I'm preaching at Picton and and. Uh, at Camden and I, I'm thinking through this whole concept of provision and I had three P's. This, this was sort of coming to me uh, in the car this morning, actually, that, uh, you know, the first thing we need to do is before we focus on provision, we go straight to provision. Uh, oh, we need this and we need this and we need that. But, uh, you know, I was thinking of scriptures like this one, this fits perfectly, that the first thing we need to do is we need to um, review our priorities. Mm. So our, is our priority our problem or having our need met or is our priority the Lord? Are we delighting in the Lord first and foremost, renewing our priorities, re, sorry, reviewing our priorities and then uh, then renewing our promise? Yeah. Okay, God, whatever you're going to provide me, I'm going to give it back to you. I'm going to use it for your kingdom. I'm not going to use it for myself. So review the priority. Do I want, like James says, do I want it for myself so I can spend it on myself or do mm. I want it for God? You know, review the priority, delighting in the Lord, renew that promise. And then you're in a position to be able to petition God in prayer for provision. So lots of P's there, but, uh, and I it was reminded of a Bible college lecturer said to me years ago and quoting this very passage, Psalm 37 verse four, and said, if God is your first priority, it doesn't actually matter what your second and third priorities are yeah. because they will be 
underlined by God being your first priority. Yep. And, you know, for some people it might be a physical thing or a, or a financial need or whatever. You don't need to worry that you're out of sync if you've made God your first priority. Yeah. Delight in him and he will then, because what will happen because the desires of our heart will be sanctified. Yeah. They will be God's desires um, in the sense that we'll be using them for him or want them, you know, we don't want them for selfish reasons, I suppose. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So Thank the, you. That helped me. Yeah. <laughs> So the next part was verses 7 through to 20. That was a big big sort of chunk of mm-hmm. um, scripture there. Um, and I've sort of labeled that peace. Mm. Uh, peace Just of mind. Through it now, yes. Peace in God and peace with God. And so, um, you know, it was a, a, a picture, and a, a beautiful picture in verse 13. Uh, the Lord laughing. For he sees and he knows what is coming mm. for the foolishness. So let's, uh, I might just read that um, that scripture so we've got some context. But the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. And that, that just jumped out at me. I'm like, whoa, the Lord just laughs because he knows. Yes. He knows what's coming. He can see that the the wicked plot against the godly they sn- uh, they snarl at their uh, defiance um but the lord just laughs. laughs yeah great and so that one that jumped out at me like going well wow what a picture that the lord is going i'm not i'm not worried about what they're doing what the wicked are up to i've got my plan it'll be okay it's going to be all right yeah. in fact i'm laughing yes. at what they're up to yeah where we're not laughing. No, no, we, we're we're doing what David was saying. The we're judging and complaining and looking. We can we're go down envious, that path. Yes, we're worrying about it. You know, we 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 lose all our delight. Yeah. We we don't even we stop committing yes. everything to the Lord. Yeah. We start going with our own plan. Well, we better do something about this. What yeah, we, are we going to do? We take matters into our own hands and go. We got to fix this. We we got to put them down. We got to correct them. Exactly. We got to right. make sure they get what's coming to them. Yep. But yeah. yet the Lord is laughing. Yeah. And maybe we shouldn't join the Lord in laughing at them. That's probably not going well, to help the this situation. This is poetic language. So that, that's <laughs> but, a poetic way. That's not some some way God being cruel. That's that's God saying, look, nothing you're going to yeah, do is going to come against you're, me. You're being foolish. Yes, that's right. You've lost this battle. Yeah, exactly. I've already won. The victory's mine. Yep. And, you know, so... We we need to stand in that victory. Yeah, which is that what how it started. You know, we've got to be, that that section started with um where was it verse seven? Verse be still, seven. yeah, be in still. the presence of the Lord and patiently wait for Him to act. That's how we do it. We go, God, it's over to you. We trust that you'll bring it all out in the wash. Yeah, and don't worry about the evil evil people who prosper. Yes, you know, like there's that that piece of hey, they they're gonna they're gonna look like mm. everything's going mm. great for them. Yeah, and you may not be as successful as as they are, it's at least in the in the short term, in the short in, in, term. even in the in this life. Yep. Right back at the start, earlier on, it said that didn't it? It said um, this. Where were we? For f- verse two, for like grass, they soon fade away; like spring flowers, they soon wither. Yep. And so th- it's going to come to nothing in the in the end. Yeah, and that that picture is used again further on about the flowers that comes back up. Okay. Um. So, and yeah. Jesus picks up on that. I think we'll probably do it later on when he's talking. Well, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, but in the version we're doing in Luke. But, you know, he talks about, you know, God will care for you. He cares for the flowers of the field. He'll care for you. And I think maybe Jesus is riffing off this psalm when he's saying that. Yeah. 
Mm. That's right. Uh, how much more um, does your father, father care, care for, for you? you. That's yeah. right, yes. Um, so, yeah, so I, I looked at this and I'm like, wow, this is uh, a, an interesting picture. In verse 16, um, it says, it's better to be godly, godly and have little than be evil and rich. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this used so wrong in the past. Um, this verse is about the godliness and our right standing with God, not necessarily necessarily about our richness or our poorness, Great but call. our godliness. Yes. The focus isn't on the money. The focus is on the godliness yes. is what you're saying. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Totally. Ah, I love that. I actually don't think I would have seen that either because it's in an interesting, our natural bent goes to the money issue. Yeah. Because of the way we work in the world. But that's, that's an, ex- that's the uh, object of the object is the godliness and that's the um, metaphor being used to explain it, I suppose. That's right. Yeah. And it, you know, that the, the focus we, we naturally go to, oh, th- there's that money thing again. Yes. That's the cause. That's yeah. the cause. Right. But that was just the object of, hang on, you, you're better off to be poor yep. and godly. Godly than evil and rich. Yes. It could have been, you're better off to be godly and ugly. Yes, it could have been. That's right. Than evil cool. and, and beautiful. Beautiful. That's that's good call. So um, it's not so much the, it's the contrast. It's the contrast. Great thought, Shannon. So it's a, about our godliness or our evilness. Yes. Um, yes. And so, yeah, this, this the peace here in these verses about our heart is where is our peace, mm. um, our peace of mind, our peace in God and our peace with God. Um, so the provision of peace was, you know, spilling in these verses um, and I, I just couldn't get away from the peace. The peace of God is just flowing through here. Um, and so there was one other verse there uh, which uh, was around borrowing so the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Yeah. Those in the Lord uh, bless. Those the Lord blesses. Oh, sorry. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. Mm. And so the land is something we're going to hear a lot of. And so I'm. I'm going to go early on a question. I think this is. I've got this question further on, but I'm thinking I, we should probably address it now. The land question. The land question. What does it mean to possess the land? What, what does it mean land? to possess the land? You're very fortunate that I just spent a week of Bible college masters last week because this very <laughs> question came up when we were talking about eschatology and end times and some of the arguments about what does it mean in the Old Testament? Is this what you're asking? What does it mean in the Old Testament when you see these promises of the land and the connection of Faith to inheriting the land and all of that. Is that what you're going at? Yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. What does it mean? Because all through the Psalms yep. and the Proverbs, it talks about, you know, you will, if you do this, you will possess the land. All right. Maybe, maybe just off the top of my head here, there's two ways to address this. The first one, maybe I'll start with how not to address it or how not to apply it. And I see this is actually a common way that it's applied. I, ironically, it's being applied in this way by lots of Christians right now when it comes to the mm. Israel-Gaza war. They say, okay, the land, I mean, well, let's, let me re- back up a bit. What land are they talking about in Psalm 37 here? What land do you think they're talking about? Well, the way I, I'm interpreting the land, I'm actually not talking, I don't see this as actual physical land. Good. Okay. So that's the, so I would argue that, 
an average Jew reading this psalm in the time of the period of the kings or the time of the post-exile period, their first connection at at a natural level would be to the physical, tangible land of Israel. Okay, so I would say that that's how they would view it. The problem comes, and I would even argue that to some degree, that would be acceptable for an ancient Jew to argue and see all these promises with the land pertaining to the physical land of Israel, Palestine, and, and that as being God's inheritance for them. The problem comes when Christians try to um, apply that to the modern state of Israel, one, they, they straight away say that, first of all, the modern state of Israel is not the same as the ancient state of Israel, and to claim that the modern state of Israel is allowed to apply the land to them. First of all, first thing they've done is they've completely ignored the Old Testament, which says, if you don't obey my covenant, I will cast you out of the land. Well, mm-hmm. the modern state of Israel is a secular nation, so they're not covenant abiding anyway. So they don't belong in the land. So it can't apply to that in the modern state. That's the first thing people do. The second thing people do is they apply it in terms of their own nation. And this births a, a movement, say, Christian nationalism. So, And, and a, another common way this comes out is in, for instance, Second uh, Chronicles five seventeen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll, seek my face, I'll turn from the their, land. I will heal their land. So you've probably heard this in, in intercessory prayer meetings, and we instantly, almost subconsciously, go, "Well, what's our land? Our land's Australia." So we apply it to Australia. I, if my people pray, I will heal the land. The problem is there is a disconnection. I think this is where you're going. There is a disconnection between taking promises from an ancient culture and applying them to a modern geographical Mm. context. First of all, if my people who pray, well, who are the my people? They're God's people. That's the church. And what is the church's land? The church's land is not Australia. The church's land is um, anywhere we place our feet. The church's land is not linked to a national boundary, whether that's America, where Christian nationalism is incredibly big and Mm. quite dysfunctional, or whether or not it's actually in our context or anywhere else, or modern Israel or whatever. It's the promise is, um, the, the land is now, uh, dis- the concept of land is disconnected from physical geography and it has more to do with um, an owning or a possessing um, for God's kingdom of any place we place our feet. When we come into our neighbor's situations and crises in our world, um, we bring God's land into that place. We will possess the land in the sense that we can change the atmosphere. We can bring a little bit of heaven to earth. Yeah, I think that's a much better way to apply all these Old Testament promises about land, and recognize that everywhere you, foot, you place your foot, that's your land. Mm. Yeah, that's I was thinking it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom. It's bringing the kingdom to earth. Yeah, and that that can be in the context of an area of healing or an area of financial blessing or relational blessing. Um, it could be walking into a a local council and talking to a counselor and having some degree of you know, some degree of uh, bringing God's kingdom into their world, but it's not directly linked to a geography. That's the problem that, um, and I, you know, interesting, you make the point there, even with the Old Testament, I think that's probably true in the Old Testament too. I'm not sure that, while well, uh, well, the covenant is probably more directly linked to, the Old Testament covenant is probably more directly linked to a physical land. I think that there's always been a spiritual meaning behind that, mm. which is wherever you go, um, I will give you that place. Yeah. I, you will bring a little bit of heaven to earth because you're my ambassador in that place. Yeah. Yep. And that that's the way I think. Yeah, I think that's a great yeah. way to look at it. Yep. Yep. Well, we're in agreement, so that settles it. Great. We can tell all the Christian nationalists they're wrong. We'll move on. <laughs> oh, dear. 
So, you know, as I was saying, I'm from up north. I'm actually from down south. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's a Christian nationalist American joke, that one. Okay, so uh, moving on to verses uh, 21 to 33. Um, the themes I-, I could see here was justice and mercy were the, the standouts in these uh, particular verses. So in verse 24... Um, it says, though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Beautiful. And this, this uh, the question here is, we may find trouble in our lives. And, you know, that provision, I think, sometimes gets confused with, well, you know, and protection, as we looked at last week. You know, I'm going to be protected, so therefore... Nothing bad will happen Nothing bad's going to happen to me. And, you know, if nothing bad happens to you, no character is developed and we never mature. Um, But provision, you know, what I see here is the the question um, is that, you know, no trouble is coming our way and we're not going to be destroyed. Um, Well, trouble's going to find out find us, but we're not going to be destroyed. Yes. The Lord's holding our hand. Yeah. Trouble is coming. Yep. Um, that's that's the bad news. Yes, that's right. In this <laughs> life, you will face many troubles, Jesus said. That's a quote by Jesus. Yep, that's you right. know, and and he, he he said before that, I bring good news. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good news, guys. You're gonna face news. all challenges in the world. <laughs> but don't worry. Yes. <laughs> There's that word again. Don't, yep, worry. don't worry. I've conquered the world. Yeah, that's right. Um and so I suppose the question here is um, you know, what what do we take out of that? That you know, how when when the world is hitting us, yes, and we think, look, I can't take any more. Yeah, like I don't think I've got anything left. Mm. How much more trouble can come my way? Yeah. I, I, I can't fall any lower, Lord. You said like, I, you said I'll never fall. I feel like I've fallen as low <laughs> as I can go. Like, surely there's nothing else to yes. destroy. Yeah, that, that's right. Like, what, what what's the line for people? Yeah. Like when you know, like for some people, it could be just you know they the, the burden they can carry is huge, mm. and sure. you know, like you know, they they could have a lot, and a lot can be taken from them, and they're left with mm. almost nothing. Yeah, and others can just have the little bit taken, and they feel like they're being a, totally a destroyed. It's a capacity question. It's a capacity yes. question, yeah, sure. sort of, isn't it? Like, yeah. what what's what's that look like for us in our world? I think a big part of this is an understanding. Uh, and we Pentecostals haven't always done this well, uh, but we have to get an understanding of a good theology of suffering. We need to understand that to be protected or provided for does not mean that we will, let's take protection for it. It doesn't mean we'll be ever protected from all harm. You, mm. you, you can Psalm 91, talk, so, you know, you protect you from the snare and all that kind of stuff. So we go, okay, that sounds good. And we take it at face value rather than understanding the, the the poetic style of that writing. And we think, well, okay, that means nothing bad will ever happen to me. To say God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory means I'll never feel like I'm in lack. Mm. And then we take it at face value as opposed to understanding that what God is more trying to do here is he, he will provide for us in the lack. Yeah, He will provide, he will protect us in the crisis. And our character will be developed. You, you were just sharing. I don't know if you're comfortable to share that story. In totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, this is what we're talking about is that we frame it up as though oh, when bad things happen, God's not providing or God's not protecting rather than understanding that God is actually – we know this. It's the footprints. 
old yep. footprint story. We, we intuitively, if you haven't read the footprint story, just Google it and you'll find it straight away. Um, but God is carrying us during those times. I said it here yesterday morning too. I think we won't know until we're with Jesus how many times he has provided and protected us yep. where we'll go, oh, wow, I, I, I am convinced there are multiple times that I'm unaware of where supernaturally because someone's prayed for me or, or I've been praying God, God protect me or provide this thing for me where I have uh, experienced God's protection or provision and I, I'm none the wiser for it. I carry on as though it was me, not even mm. aware how good and gracious God was. But at the same time, there are times when that's not the case. There are times when we do have to endure the lack or the sense of lack. And and so it says, though they stumble, well, they're straight away means you're going you're gonna to feel like you're stumbling. There's going to be times where you feel like you've lost your balance. You, you feel out of kilter. But God is going to protect you and lift you up. And the promise is not that you won't stumble, but it's that you won't fall and stay fallen. Yeah. You know, because a righteous man may fall seven times and get back up again. So you can see, hang on a sec, this one's saying they won't fall. That one says you can fall seven times. So obviously the word fall is not the issue here. It's the sustaining provision and protection yeah. of the Lord, I think. So the the story you were referring to is uh, my son, Elijah, has had some uh, surgery a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, and recovered quite well from that surgery. Uh, there was some uh, it's quite a complicated surgery was, that yeah. um, that had taken place. Uh, but uh, three months on, he'd recovered quite well, and we were serving on a, a camp, and the camp was going great. And uh, one of the the nights it happened, and uh, there was a, a one of the the campers had got quite ill, and uh, a decision was made to call an ambulance and. We had to head down to Wollongong Hospital with this camper and he needed some attention. And uh, 2.30 in the morning, the attention was finally given to him and oh, we sort goodness. of got back to camp at 3.30 in the morning and camp goes on, right? So yeah, next day you've got all the other kids Seven o'clock in the morning, we're back on camp and very little sleep and, you know, the day's going on. And that afternoon, uh, Elijah breaks his leg. He's jogging and his leg snaps. So an ambulance is called and... You know, we, we get there and it's not looking good. It looks like it's in the area where the surgery's happened. And, you know, we've we're, we're got concern. We get to the hospital and there's no bay for the ambulance to park. It's that busy, is it's it? It's that busy. My goodness. So we're like, this is this is not good. And so I'm, I'm in with Elijah and Vanessa, my wife, is arriving. She's getting a park and she's got to battle the emergency room and – They've taken us to Wollongong where we'd just been the, the, sort night, of the night before. Yeah, which yeah was that's right. Not that long before. Horrific. So, you know, we're not <laughs> we're not so keen to be back there. <laughs> and uh we, we get into the 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 area where all the Ambos are waiting with all their patients. And I'm like, this is this is not gonna be a good experience. Within two minutes, that whole corridor of fourteen trolleys disappear. Wow. And we're the only ones in that area. The nurse comes out and looks up and down and goes, oh, wow, this is quite clear, and lets Vanessa in, which just doesn't happen. No. Then the nurse comes past and says, oh, it's all right. We're going to get you straight through. Now, they're words that you just don't hear. No, not in the hospital. Not in the hospital. No, well, I've broken two ankles and I, I've sat through very long hours in casualty with both my broken ankles. It wasn't that quick, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then we're 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 sort of we're it's now we're we've been there for four minutes. Yeah. Then the nurse says, "Are oh, you still at school, Elijah?" And Elijah says, "Yes." And, 
off to uh, the children's ward ah. you go. So he goes in and the the nurse says, oh, we haven't got a bed. And so they're going to put Elijah in a chair. I'm like, oh, this is not good. It mm. looks like he's got something significantly broken yeah. with his leg. A chair's not going to work. Needs to be up and the Ambers and now got to pass him on. And then, you know, they're trying to work it out and we've now been there nine minutes. I go, oh, hang on. He's got a leg issue. We've got a bed over here. They put him straight into bed. They close the door and we're, we're there left alone for an hour, which was just very peaceful, which is lovely. Chaos was raining outside. Well, we were, we were just so looked after. Like we were just like nine minutes to be in a bed. Oh, that's that's unheard like, of, especially like, when you've got that's a queue up for the ambulance out. So that's right? provision. That is provision. Yeah. So you could argue, oh, why did it happen? But God was providing for you in the midst of in the, the midst of you the chaos. You had stumbled, yeah. but you hadn't fallen. But we we were looked Beautiful. after. So then our surgeon is overseas that had looked after Elijah. He needs surgery. His leg is fractured. Um. They're looking to do a surgery just to, you know, get it into an alignment and hope everything goes okay. And I'm like, our surgeon's not going to be happy with that. Like, that's that's not going to work for him. Like, they, he's going to want to put a something pin inside it in, here, pin it, it in. out, yep. And he's overseas and his secretary sort of is in contact with him and he says, if you can get him to Canterbury Hospital tomorrow at midday, I'll operate. That's incredible. Like, so patient transport's organised Yep. to have him there. Move from Wollongong to Canterbury. To Canterbury and to have surgery and done. The, the surgeon comes back from overseas. 24 hours before, if this had have happened, the surgeon's still overseas. Yeah, still overseas, right? Wow. Now, this is just all happening and people say, oh, it's a coincidence. It's There's no coincidence mm, here. Yeah. Like, it's there's, there's clockwork happening yep. here. Today... There's an appointment this morning for Elijah while we're waiting to see the specialist, to see how he's going. And we've got good news, which is That's great. great. Which is great. Good. Surgeon's um, happy. Surgeon's happy. Wonderful. Healing's happening, which is good. wonderful. Um, we're overhearing the wait time to get into the public hospital that Elijah was operated in. It's a year. Wow, isn't that amazing? Now, provision happened. Yes. Now, it wasn't good that Elijah broke his leg. We didn't want that to happen. Elijah didn't want that to happen, but it happened. Mm. Now, maybe Elijah was robbed of that time. I, I, we could I think put a lot arguments of it is, is how you there, frame that but trust in God. Exactly right. Yeah. But yet we were totally looked after. Yeah. And yeah. I can see a blessing that the care that he's been given um, – it, we, we've been blessed. Mm. So it's, it is about that framing and the provision that yeah. we've been given. It takes me back to it's verse amazing. four. You're delighting yourself. You're being flexible and pliable. And uh, when we become rigid and negative, and we we're talking about in our prayer meeting here this morning with some of the ladies, uh, our Monday morning prayer meeting, and, and Chris Morris was saying, you know, we get an Eeyore spirit. Oh, dear. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. dear. Oh, my. Not when, again. When we do that, we miss what God can do mm. in that situation. Whereas if we can have that delight, if we can have that flexibility, go, well, God, this kind of is sucky, but I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust that even in the sucky situation, you're still going to work. Yeah. What, <laughs> what's know? next, Lord? What, what what's are you going to do? What can yeah. you do in this situation? That's a wonderful testimony mm. of provision. And I think, you know, that's, that's probably where we as Pentecostals had missed that for some time. And now we're starting to recapture some of that. Never stop believing for miracles. Never stop believing for protection. But the fact is we still live in a fallen world and 
bad things still do happen. Yep. Um, and while it might we might be protected sometimes, other t- might, might be protected from going through it. Other times, we may need to go through something. We may yeah. need to endure loss or uh, you know a business falling over or you know the bottom falling out of the mar- mortgage market or something happening that that seems to be counteracting that. But this is an example of how you find God in the middle of it. Yeah. And trust that He will. Um, he will cause it to work out. Yep. Verse 27. Mm-hmm. This was an interesting one, for, interesting one for me as well. Turn from evil and do good and you will live in the land forever. Things aren't set. People can change. Redemption yes, yes. is in play. Yes. Good. I like the way you said that. Redemption is in play. Yeah. This one for me, I was like, wow, God is active. And so in verse 28, um, it goes on. Uh, and says he will keep them safe forever. Sorry, for the Lord loves justice and he will never abandon the godly for he will keep them safe forever. Um, But the children of the wicked will die. So God is active, not abandoning the godly, keeping them safe forever. So these two verses sort of interplay a little bit. So God is active. Yep. It's, you know, redemption is in play. God is active. He's not abandoning the godly, but he's chasing those that aren't yet yes. godly. Yep, yep. He's he's faithful in reaching out. Yep. Mm. Um, again, in thirty uh, verse 33, um, uh, God is active, but the Lord will not let the mm. wicked succeed or let the godly be condemned when they are put on trial. Um, the one that jumped out there for me is when. The yeah, godly that's right. There's are put on trial. Case in point again, isn't it? Not if if they are. If or, they are. Well, God will not <laughs> let the godly be condemned because he will never put them on trial. It's not saying that, no. No, it's when. When, that's right. So once again, it's this tension between seeing God protect and provide so you don't go through something or going through it and seeing God's protection and provision in something. Mm. So uh, I suppose, you know, when I'm adding all these up, <laughs> that there is – you know, a lot of provision here. And we haven't even gone through all the ways oh, no, that this... God is prov- prov- given provision in all these verses. No, so it's I'll... worth it. It's I actually like the way you've done it for our, for our listeners. In. This is a really good way to do it. What Shannon has done here is taken this psalm, broken it down, excuse me, and meditated. Oh, I've got a frog in my throat. Meditated on like verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And, and you've taken it and activated that in your faith. And you said, what? What does this speak to me about, haven't you? That's what mm. the way you've done that meditatively. That that I would encourage our listeners to do with a psalm like this. We can we can whet your appetite, but we can't possibly do all these verses. It would take us five hours to unpack this yeah. psalm just alone. But I love that. That's something you can do. Is just prayerfully sit down with Psalm 37 and let it speak to you. Yeah, and it, this one does. 37 and all Yes, it does. We could be here for hours. So uh, to wrap it up, verses 34 to 40 um, this was the fourth section, was this it? This is the fourth section. Uh, the doing is ours, but the providence, the intervention is God's. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do the work. We've got to do our bit. Yep. But God intervenes. Yes. Okay. So what is the bit we're doing? So uh, so verse 34, uh, put your hope, hope in, the, in the, Lord. the Lord. Yep. Travel steadily along the, his so path. So he's saying, you're saying that the... The doing is activating faith, activating staying faith. faithful, doing good, seeking yep. God's will in our lives. That's the bit that we're responsible yep. for. That's yep. right. And he will honor you by giving you the land. Yep. There's that land piece yep. again. 
uh, and you will see the wicked destroyed. Um, verse 38, but the rebellious will be destroyed. Uh, they will have no future. Our part is to place our hope, travel steady along the path placed in front of us. Yes. And our paths are different. Yes. So my path is not yep, the same path right. as your path. Yep. Um, we've all got our different paths. Yep. Stay on but, your path. But yeah, we've got to stay yeah. on our path. Yeah, that's right. And so sometimes I might look at your path and go, oh, your path looks so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that path I want looks that path. so good. Yep. But, well, how come he gets to be on that path and yeah. I have to be on this path? But Lord? I'm not equipped yep. for your path. And vice versa. Yeah, it's great. And so yeah. if I jump onto your path, yep. I'm not skilled for it. Yep. I'm great. not I'm not uh, strengthened for it. I, I've got no oh, provision okay. for your path. Because God is providing for your, your path. Exactly yeah. right. And so as soon as I jump on, I get envious. Yep. I, or I, you burn out, yeah, yeah, all kinds of things. So. Exactly right. Yep. And so when I'm not focused on my path, that's when I do burn out. Yep. Because I'm looking at everyone else's path. Yep. And I, I take my focus off what I'm actually supposed Stay to do. Stay in your own lane, folks, because that's where the grace is. Yes. 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 And in Luke, um, the verses I've got, it's it's almost like the, the cloak of Jesus is literally dripping grace. Wow. That's that's the picture I of, had of what's going on. Yes, is that literally Jesus is walking around with a cloak on, wow. and it's dripping grace wherever people are at. It's meeting them in that moment. Yes, yes, grace is literally flowing through. I like it. And so when we're on on the path that we've been given, stay steady on it, because yep. there's grace there for us. Amen. Our needs are, are met. On that path. And you're not saying your path's easy. No, no. It's just that God has given you, uh, given us grace for the path that he has for That's us. That's right. Yes. And so when There's we... still hurdles. It's a, if you think about a racing track analogy, yep. there's going to be hurdles. There's going to be a bit more like a steeplechase, isn't it? You yeah. Go, there's going to be right. times we go under things and through mud through, and yep. <laughs> through lakes and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, and then sometimes there's going to be... The evildoer that's going to throw yep. in a javelin. Yep, that's right. We're mixing all our athletic analogies together. But that is life, isn't it? That's right. And so, yep. and that's it. It's going to build up our, yep. our strength and yeah. it's going to build our character. Um, and so, yeah, I, I looked at that and I went, wow, what, a, what an amazing picture that we're given um, by the Father to, yeah, to be on that path, to play our part. So, our part is to, to place our hope in Him. Yep, put your hope in Him. Well, there, that's a good way to wrap up Psalm 37. Yeah, so I suppose some of the provisions, which we haven't talked about any of the provision in in this whole in this psalm. psalm. Okay, so yeah. let's let's quickly look at all the provision because there's oh, so great. much. Come provision. on, bring it on. So the provision of safety, our heart's desire, guidance, peace, prosperity, care, inheritance that will last forever, and to have more than enough. Um, also of a generous heart direction, um, particularly in the fine details of life, not just our oh, direction go here, but like fine details. Um, also adopted, which is uh, the opposite of abandoned. So where God's saying, I won't abandon you. He's the opposite of that is adopted. Beautiful. So the provision of adoption, um, safety, wisdom, justice, um, honor, um, a future, uh, provision of rescue, um, a saviour and shelter. So that's the provision Wow! just in Psalm 37. Wow. It'd be worth just rewinding, listening to that list again, because Shannon's pulled those out of this psalm, 
listen to those lists again and go, which of those do you need provision for right now? And then this is how the word of God works. Go to that Psalm, sit with it and look for those promises rather than us finding them, work the word, you know, and, and go find those promises, the one that you need in this, in this Psalm Mm -hmm. and then begin to pray that and, and, uh, let that speak that over yourself and let it, um, let it build your faith. Yeah. It's beautiful. Wow, a massive list of things, all in one psalm, all in like 40 verses. Incredible. Yeah. It must have been like 25 things in 40 verses there of protection, of provision from God. All right, that's good. Anything else you want to add on that one? No, that's, that's brilliant. It. I like that psalm in that kind of, I don't, I don't think I've ever talked about Psalm 109 in so Psalm, we're going 109 now, but Psalm 37 in such depth. So Psalm 109, I think that's the right one, isn't it? It is. It is. All right, we'll go there now. All right, Psalm 109, take it away. Okay, Psalm 109. Oh, I'm just looking at my notes here. I feel like some of them have gone missing. Oh, no. Oh, no. We'll have to l- l- let's see what happens. Okay, let's just fly by <laughs> the just, seat of our pants. I, I feel like I'm going to with this one now. Okay, so verses four. Let's uh, let's read that one. Um, I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations even when – I'm praying for them. I read this and I went, well, every pastor must read this verse and just go, oh, man, <laughs> this is my life. This. Yep, yep. Every, every leader of any organization and pastors included has experienced that sense of I'm investing everything, but it's not enough. So this is um, – I, I tried to picture – this is David um, – having a meltdown. <laughs> Essentially, yes, it is. Pouring um, out his heart to God. He's pouring his heart out. He's, he's under attack. And he feels like he feels like God's away from him. He feels like he's going through a hard time. And yep. the, it's, the people have turned on him. Yes, that's right. Whoever this is, they have completely turned on him. His friends, those that were closest to him, yep. those he thought were his allies have turned on him. Yep. Yeah, and so he, those deep relationships, mm. the, those people that he's trusted. Yep. Um, there's a breakdown. Yeah. And I think we've all been there, haven't we? Oh, we've yes. all had that sad. friendship, that person that we've we've trusted that has turned against yep. us. And whether they've it's been in a tight friendship group. Yep. And you've got to show up to church and that mm-hmm. person's still there mm-hmm. and they're talking about you behind your back mm-hmm. and that and it's it's how you walk in that, you know, and sometimes it's the fight and flight sort of mentality and, and how do you go? But yet David's here going, oh, well, I'm, I'm pouring my heart out. Yeah, he's going to God with a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's and right. I, and I, I, love, I love how this is a beautiful example of, of how to do this. If, you know, in when life gets tough yep. and we've seen it in church, we've all ex- sadly mm, experienced mm, yeah. where relationship breakdown happens in church yep. and you, you see it, someone – you know, leaves because of relationship breakdowns or or four or five people leave because of one argument yes, that's right. that happens. Yep. And it ha- Some it's misunderstanding not- happens and things just splinter. And it's not because it's happened in church. It's just that because those people go to the same church yeah. and it could have happened because something happened at soccer yeah. on the, we- yep. the weekend, two weekends but ago. A relationship has been splintered and we go, well, we can't relate to each other in church, so we're out. So yes. we're out. Yep. And, and that's – I can't see yep. where God says – you know, well, you can't get along now, so... No, it's quite the opposite, actually. 
Exactly right. He wants says, us to work things out Actually, we, we should can. come back together yeah. and how do reconcile. we heal and reconcile. And so I looked at this verse and I'm like, wow, the the anguish, the anguish that's here for David. You know, they're trying to destroy me. Mm. You know, and that's not a, you know, hey, they're, 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 just, uh, they're just trying to cause a bit of trouble here. No, you they're know. saying things like, may creditors seize his entire estate, <laughs> <laughs> may he go bankrupt. I mean, that's... It's not pleasant, is it? No. Um, <laughs> there's so much pain. There's yeah. so much yes. pain. Um, you know, verses 6 to 19, um, they, these must be some of the worst curses yes. in the Bible. Yeah, they're pretty intense, aren't um, they? Especially when you consider that David's saying they're coming from those who were he considered close to him. They say, this is verse 6, they say, get an evil person to turn against him. So let's get someone evil. Turn against him, send an accuser to bring him to trial, and when his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. So we're going to get an evil person. Let's go and get someone to lie. We're going to set up a kangaroo court. Yep. Let's get some corruption happening. Yep. Like, let's take this person down. Yeah. Like, like this is <laughs> this is not okay. No, this is most definitely not okay. You know, like, oh, wow. Uh, but it gets worse. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. So they want him they dead. Want him dead. Yep. <laughs> May his children wander as beggars and be driven from the ruins of their homes. So now he wants his children to suffer. So they want the children to be homeless. Like this is this is horrible stuff. Yep. Now you don't. This is this is now very toxic. Oh yes, yes. This is. What poisonous attitudes? <laughs> the level of poison that will come, and these kind of attitudes um, are let to let to fo- uh, be fostered in in a in a relationship between two people. Yeah, let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. So not only are they out, kicked out of their state now, no one should show them any attention and care. Yeah, my goodness, I mean, it's actually building upon the previous statement. It's like how much worse can this cursing get? Like it, it, it it's now his like, kids are dead. Now he's <laughs> may all his offspring die. Yes, may his family name be blotted wow. out in the next generation. And then, oh, let's bring the Lord in on this as well. May the Lord never forget the sins of his fathers. So now, now we're retrospectively, <laughs> we've got we've dealt with the ge- the the, the, gener- the generations down. Now we're going to go back and curse the generations up. My and goodness, and his fathers and his mother's sins never be erased from the record. And may the Lord always remember these sins. Oh, like this is this is just horrific stuff. Yeah. And they're accusing him of, it says, verse 16 says, for he refused all kindness to others and he persecuted the poor and needy and he hounded the brokenhearted to death. He loved to curse others. Now you curse him. The irony of it is that David's saying, I didn't do any of those things. In fact, I did quite the opposite of those things. You're accusing me of the very things, of not doing the very things that I was keen to do. And yeah. we see that in David's life. He was a, a blesser of others and he he did reach out and he was a good king and all yeah. those sorts of things. And yet here's the accuser doing mm. exactly what he's, yeah. what he's been accused of. Is that a blind spot there, Shannon? <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, like, I, I read this and I go, wow, what a lesson for us to learn. Mm. What a lesson for us to learn that, even though life might be good for us today, mm. that, you know, tomorrow, that little thing that might become a big thing, yeah. that don't let that yeah. be our legacy. 
yep. of, oh, well, you know, this went wrong for me, so I've got to take someone down. Yep. You know, let, you know, that one person, they've done that one thing, I'm, I'm going to take I'm them out get, now. take them out for it. I've got to take them out for it. Yep. I've, I've got to get my justice. Yep. And the only way I can do that is take that innocent person down because I'm hurt. Yep. And because I'm hurt, I'm going to take you down for it. And the poison, as we do that, the poison just take. it's like the barb goes deeper into our own heart. The more we, we have that attitude, the deeper it goes, mm. which is what you saw here. It's like it's perpetually getting worse. Yeah. This poison, this toxic attitude that these people have towards him. Yeah, it's 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 just so horrible. Mm. Uh, reading this was so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy psalm <laughs> was, to read, it is it? It was so hard. Oh wow! It's like, Lord, please make me make sure that I don't have that kind of attitude towards those around me. Yeah. Then it then it changes. Then then David turns and he, he, so he, he he's let the Lord know, hey, this is what's going. This is on. what I'm feeling. They're saying about me. This is what they're saying. And then he says, you know, hey, Lord. You know, rescue me, rescue me, uh, because you are faithful and good. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is full of pain. Mm. He's getting down, he's getting raw, yep. he's pouring out his heart, and I, I love, I love that. That we, that's the picture that we need to do. Sometimes, in our grief, in our pain. In our hurt. In the, in the false accusations that are leveled against us. Yep. We need to go there to the Lord. Yeah, great. Not there to Facebook. Yep. To Instagram. Yep. To. Who else can we launch our um, our side of the story on? Yep. To the, the neighbor, to yep. the gossip train. Yep. You know, to, you know, oh, well, if I get into that person's ear, they'll let everyone else know about it. Yep. I need to go to the Lord. Yeah. And I need to, I need to actually go and have that conversation with the Lord. Um, so David's, <sighs> David's faith here, even though he's facing these horrible accusations, whatever it is against his life, his faith is activated in such a way that he's able to pour out to the Lord his pain. Yeah. And that leads to this place of being able to say, God, in the middle of what I'm feeling right now, verse 26, save me because of your unfailing love. So I'm going to, I've got nowhere to go with this pain that's going to have any chance of doing anything other than you. I've got to go to you with my pain, Lord. Yeah. So in verses 30 and 31, um, it says, but I will, uh, sorry, but I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone. For he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. Mm. The relationship with the Lord and his justice and protection for David was so real. Yeah. And so even though David was accused of going after the needy and all that sort of stuff, here he is talking about who the Lord is, the Lord's character. The Lord will stand beside the needy. And the Lord will stand behind the needy. Yeah, that's great. And so even though he's just been accused of wanting to go after the needy and the broken heart and he's going to basically bother them until they're dead. Yeah. He's going, well, actually, the Lord stands with the needy. Yes. And therefore, <laughs> if I'm going to stand with the Lord, I'm going to stand with the needy. Yeah. And the fact that he's acknowledging that shows that he wasn't that what those accusations they were making about him weren't true because he, he wants to be with the Lord. He's calling out the Lord all through this psalm and he's knowing where the Lord will be. The Lord's going to be standing beside those that are hurting. Yeah. Those are in trouble. So if I'm going to be with the Lord, I'm going to be in those, that situation as well. Yep. Yeah. 
And also for him too. I mean, he's deeply needy at this point and he's calling out to the character of God and saying, God, I know that I'm in need, Mm. but you're my provider. Yeah. You will, you will stand behind beside me if I'm in need right now, because, because that's who you are. It's a declaration of the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Um, not that I should laugh at this, but um, in verse 24, my knees are weak from fasting <laughs> and I'm skin and bones. I'm a joke to the people everywhere. When they see me, they shake their heads in scorn. Mm. The burden that he carried in yep. this period, this wasn't just a day. No. Nope. This, this wasn't is, just this a, a long week. Time. This is a very long yep. period of time yep. that he spent fasting yep. and living this out. Totally. This months and months and months. Um, so, you know, where we go, oh, you, you just don't understand. No one understands my burden. No one understands. No one understands. David understands. Maybe David <laughs> understands. Yes, that's right. And we read, we've done this this year throughout as we've looked at David. I mean, he he understood this over multiple years of mm. false accusations, being pursued by Saul, oh. um, you know, having constant relational tension between him and his nephew, Joab, who just kept. Um, abusing his trust and then ultimately his own son turned his back on him. And I mean, he understood pain. He understood what it was to be misunderstood and misrepresented more than, than many, most of us would understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the provision I had here was of comfort, justice, mercy, love, and faith. Beautiful. Comfort, justice, love, mercy, faith. Yeah. Beautiful. That's really good. Two great psalms that we can uh, we can go to in a time of need mm. and find uh, promises of provision in yeah. those psalms. That's great. Yeah. Is that Psalm 109 done for That's you? That's Psalm 109. All right. We're going to do uh, the first three in the book of Proverbs, I think. Yes. Proverbs 1. Here we come. Okay, Proverbs 1. Oh, this was this was great. This was an easy one to start with. Verses 1 to 6, a good old-fashioned user guide. It is oh, a user guide, yes. isn't it? The instruction manual. Yeah. How, how to read Proverbs. this book. Isn't it ironic, though, that most people don't read the instruction guide when it comes to the book of Proverbs? We'll yes. probably touch on that at some point. <laughs> they turn it into promises. They're not promises, they're Proverbs. <laughs> they're Proverbs. This is how to read it. Yeah. This is how to use it. This was just... This is the easiest one to yep. to do. Yep. Um, so if you if you if you you're reading this one to six, it's the user guide. I like it. The user guide. I've never quite heard it called that before. It's uh, just proverbs for dummies. Proverbs 101. for dummies. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> proverbs for dummies. It's to use. It's to teach people for wisdom and to discipline. And if you if you're not so clever. Yep. It's going to help you be it's clever. It's going to help you become clever. And if you're already clever, it's going to help you be cleverer. Yeah, great. I like it. <laughs> That's exactly what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Yeah. And like it's it's that simple. Like the in fact it says the proverbs will give insight to the simple. Yes. Knowledge to discernment to young. Yeah, knowledge and discernment to young. Yep. And so for me I was like, oh man, why why is it that every other book of the Bible doesn't have doesn't a user have a guide. User guide. <laughs> Revelation most definitely does yes. not have a user guide. Revelation, there's no user guide. That's a very much uh, a choose your own adventure it's book. Your own really. adventure. 
I like it. It's but great. I've seen the first six. I went, this is a user guide. Oh, yes, I love that. That's, great. that's just wonderful. As all, all jokes aside, it is a very important introduction to Proverbs because I do mean that. People take Proverbs and miss the point of what these are for. Yeah. These are not promises that says these are general rules for life that says if you do A, B will tend to happen. Yeah. Not always, not guarantee. That's where the other books like Job come in and Ecclesiastes, yeah. the other wisdom books come in. But it's a general principle that if you do A, B will tend to happen. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's sometimes where we, we get caught out, right? Because we just take it out. Oh, this is, it's a promise. Yes. It's and then what Bible. happens when it, it doesn't happen? Be. Yeah. Like, well, no, it's, yeah. it's, this is just, this is wisdom. Usually when this, yes, when, when you right. do this, this is usually the result. That's correct. So we, we try and do this because we want this to happen. That's right. That's the key to it. Yep. Like, you know, I love making scones. Usually when I make scones, and I put the oven on at this temperature, this is what usually comes out. Right. Every now and again. They still come out flat? They don't <laughs> come out the way I expect. <laughs> right. And I just go. And I didn't do anything I different didn't that do time. Anything yeah, different. that's a great analogy. <laughs> they just didn't, that just didn't happen. Yeah, that's a great analogy. You know, and I only use three ingredients when I make scones. <laughs> you know, it's the yeah. same three ingredients. Right. I'm like, and you can't, the way I do it, you can't mess it up. Right. Yeah. Like, that just didn't But work. unpredictable stuff still happens. It still happens, yep. right? So most of the time it works. Yep. Every now and again, that just, for whatever reason, it yep. didn't work. Yeah, that's a really good um, metaphor of life, isn't it? Yep. Yes, that's right. That you can do something nine times, it works. You do it the tenth time and it doesn't. Yeah. But that does not disqualify the principle of generality that nine times out of ten it will work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, verse 7. We're going to hit the hard one. Yeah. We're going right there. Fear of the Lord. Let's deal with it. This, oh, I see. This, we hear it all the time. Yeah. And oh, this is a foundation that we hear all the time. Fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's it's through the Bible everywhere, yeah. Pastor Owen. What does it mean? What does it mean? Let's deal with this. Okay, well, okay, so verse seven it says, Fear the Lord. It's the foundation of truth, uh, sorry, true, true knowledge, knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Mm-hmm. Fear of the Lord. What is it? Well, scholars have argued about this for a long time <laughs> and continue to. What does it mean? Is this uh, some kind of fear of an angry God? They have to be the most. Four misunderstood words yeah. in the entire Fear Bible. of the Lord. Yep, that's right. And there is so many different perspectives and angles on this. I'm very hesitant. Uh, my natural tendency is to remove any sense of consequence from fear. So yes. I'm t- I tend to go, okay, it can't have anything to do with some kind of abject terror hiding in the corner kind of fear, right? Because <laughs> that doesn't fit with my knowledge of the revealed who the Father is, and who Jesus is, and you know that that doesn't fit. So, so even though that's what the first word that conjures up fear is, mm. oh, to be afraid or terrified, my experience goes that doesn't fit my knowledge of God. Mm. So I'm going to be the kind of person that's going to come at it much more of the softer. Oh, you know, it's just have a respect for God, right? However, scholars will still say no. There does need to be. There is a degree of some sense, the word does mean to be afraid. It, it does. Have, it's a reverence, isn't it? It does. So there is some kind of um, significance or weight to what it means to fear the Lord. 
And I can get that too, because I can, while I, while I trust in God's goodness and I feel like I don't need to be afraid of him in the sense that he is, he's capricious or he, he's moody. Or if I, if he's having a bad day, I'm going to cop it like a, Mm. like a, you know, a parent might, who's not in control of themselves and, you know, have that kind of fickleness. God is not like that. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So it's definitely not a fear of somehow God's going to um, be in a bad mood and, and whack me. However, to just water it down to, oh, God's good and it's all light and fluffy. The problem with that is we lack that understanding of the person of God, his greatness, that he is almighty and he is all powerful and he is all good and all just and uh, and he will right every wrong. And so there needs to be that sense of, you use the word reverence, that's exactly right. It's, it's reverential awe that kind of drives me to go, Lord, I want to follow you because the option of not following you mm. is not good for me or for anybody else, but the, compared to the, the goodness of what it means to follow you, that is what will drive me to serve you, live for you, fear you. Yeah, the awe of God's power and yeah. authority. Yeah, and recognizing his authority over our lives. Yeah. It's that, it's that awe piece, isn't it, is. it, of going, wow. It's the wow moment. It's Paul saying, I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price. Yeah. It's this understanding that that God owns us. And and um yeah, we we are we are his subjects. We are Paul says, I'm a bond slave of Christ. So he totally understood that um he he belonged to Jesus. Mm. And we have to have some of that. And I think potentially in in the much of the Western church, it's that reverential awe component that's missing. It's like, what can God do for me? I'll show up at church in a service when I want, when I want, how I want, because what can God, what, what, what's God got for me today? Yeah. Other than this sense transactional. of- Transactional. It's transactional relationship. Other than this sense of, I'm here to worship the great and mighty King of heaven who has chosen to limit himself and come and meet with us when mm. he has no reason to. Acknowledging his holiness. Yeah. And his righteousness. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's uh, to fear the Lord. Yep. Which I think is that, that next step, which is, um, you know, loving the Lord, mm-hmm. honoring the Lord, obeying him, that personal relationship with him um, and the dependence on him. That's that next step of yes. fearing the Lord. Yep. It's to fear the Lord. It's yes. the, the living with and depending on and loving. It's, you know, that's that next that, that next step. It's it's actually actioning uh, in response to an understanding of who God is mm. that actually drives us to change the way we conduct ourselves in reverence and awe for who he is. Mm. If it's not bringing that change, then we're not really fearing the Lord. Yeah. Because fear of the Lord needs to be linked. It's like faith without works is dead. Fear of the Lord needs to be linked to a response. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, he's saying fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge or the beginning. I think other versions say fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. When we uh, we move into Luke soon, um, there's some moments where the fear of the Lord, where they're with Jesus and they, they have that moment. Yeah. Um, or that there's a lack of that moment and then they get the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. Oh, who is this one who can, yeah. you know, stop the storm and there's that That's the th- moment. That's yeah. the moment. Exactly. That's there <laughs> totally. And and that is that's Which why is I don't to like awe. to it's or again, I don't like to water it down to we 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 quickly go away from fear, understanding that there is this genuine 
deeply held respect and wonder and awe that says, hey, I better do the right thing because if I don't, the consequences of this mighty God are not just that he's flippant. I can't just treat him like a mate from out of town who I haven't seen for a while and slap him on the back. Yeah, I've got to have a sense of awe and wonder. Yeah. Well, even with Moses when he went up the mountain, mm. you know, and and uh, he was meeting with God, God covered Moses's. Yeah, said, I'm not, you can't uh, see my you, face. You can't you can see, my, see face. my Yeah, exactly. You can, you can see the back of me. Yep. You can't see my face. Yeah, I think, and that's what I mean by saying, I think we miss that. And if we miss that, we become too flippant in our faith. To have a to have a church where every Christian, you know, like yesterday morning we had 25 people in the church at 10 o'clock when I started the service and I wasn't going to open my eyes. I got up stage 10 minutes later and the place is completely full like four times as many people, over a hundred people here or something, a hundred people. And I, I thought to myself, oh Lord, I want us to get it to the place where there's just this fear and awe that I get to meet with the King of heaven. Mm. Oh, oh my goodness. I want to be here. You know, I want to be in the presence of God. I think that's the kind of thing that um, can drive that for us. If we get this fear of the Lord, we, we get to meet with the King of heaven. This yeah. is mighty God. And why would I not want to? And what? Oh, how bad would it be not to meet with the King of Heaven? That kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And that leads to this foundation of knowledge, true knowledge. I mean, he's, he's saying right from the start, with everything he's going to say about wisdom in the rest of the book of Proverbs, it begins with, if you're going to live out these things, it begins with understanding this reverential awe of the bigness of God. Yeah. And that's it's interesting. It starts Bang on, yep. fear of the Lord. Yeah, before he gets into all the practicals, all the other stuff begins with, hey, if you don't do the you don't do the fear thing right, all the other stuff is inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. Let's jump down to verses twenty to thirty-three. Um, wisdom is calling out, mm. um, and this this one for me was um, singles out simpletons. Yes, on insisting, insisting on being simple-minded, mm-hmm. mockers on uh, for mocking, and fools uh, for the hate of knowledge. Yeah. But Christ Himself is wisdom. Yep. In verse uh, twenty-three, um, come and listen to my counsel. Um, I'll share my heart with you, and make you wise. Um, wisdom is always calling. Jesus is ready. Uh, when we, uh, anyone wants to turn to him. Um, I suppose for us, as we are seeking wisdom, um, w- we can fall into those you know, three categories, can't we? Simpletons? Yep, the simple, the, the wise, or the, sorry, the simple, the, the fool, or the mocker. Yeah, and um, we don't want to be the fools. You know, if we're, if we're the fools, you know, that's... We want to get out of that camp real quick. Yep. <laughs> if yes. you're a fool, let's yep. get to yep. get you to at least to be a mocker. Yep. <laughs> you might as well go be hot or cold. <laughs> get get out of the fool camp pretty yep. quickly. Um, and if you're a mocker, get out of there pretty quickly as well. At least be a simpleton. But if you're a, you know simpleton, I'm you know I don't claim to be the smartest no, person actually, around. But some of the best teaching I've ever heard in the book of Proverbs and picks up those three is Andy Stanley, and he teaches how those three. He actually says, if you think about them, they're they're actually um, compounded upon one another. And in the same way that that cursing in that last psalm was compounded mm. of this one and then this and then this. So he, he says, a simple person is not necessarily a wrong. We're all born simple. We're all born not knowing what we don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. the simple. Simple in itself. If you re- and even if, if you read the book of Proverbs this way, you'll see that 
that it's easy to come back from being simple. If you if God's God's call constant wisdom is constantly calling you back from simple, not knowing what you don't know. It's okay to say I don't know what I don't know. That's a, that's an okay place to be. We're all simple. The problem is if we don't come back from that place, we, we become foolish. There. So a foolish person is a person who kind of knows, but just goes on anyway. And um, you know, oh yeah, I should do that, but oh, it feels good. I'll go this way. I'm just going to pursue my own desires. And if you stay down that path, you become a mocker or a scoffer, which is. I actually know what's right, but I don't care. And so much so that I'm going to mock those who do the right thing. I'm going to become a scoffer of those who do the wrong thing. And you, by that stage, it's very hard to come back. Yeah. And that's what I remember Andy Stanley teaching this principle. And I thought that's such a good way to put it. And and then I overlaid that into the Proverbs and you see that time and time again, Lord, I'd, I'd much rather be simple because if you, uh, he puts it this way, I think as he sums up his sermon, he says, rebuke the simple and they will become wise. Rebuke the fool and they will ignore you. Rebuke, rebuke the mocker and they will scoff at you. Mm. And there's even a proverb that says something to that effect. You yeah. know, rebuke the simple and they will believe in you. Don't, re- oh, don't, don't uh, be, rebuke a fool um, and be, be quick to rebuke a fool. And it's a positive thing. But then the very next line says, don't rebuke the fool because they won't listen to you. So there's this, this sense of you can go either way. Yeah. That's the call of the book of Proverbs. Back to your user manual. This is here to say, guys, it's an open invitation to smart living. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to use it. You've got to use it. (laughs) You don't use the manual, you're going to end up in the wrong path. It's it's your choice. Yes, that's right. It's your choice. Yeah. Yeah, so if we can get that into us, that the the Proverbs is there to say, if you'll do this, you'll actually, life will go well for you. And you might have your ups and downs. You might have your tough times like we were talking about, about provision. As a general rule of thumb, life will go well for you if you do make wise choices. Mm. Verse 33 says, but all who listen to me will live in peace. Yeah. Untroubled by fear of harm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That there is the provision of peace. Yeah. Right there. Yep. And so the provision in this um, chapter is wisdom, correction, protection, guidance. I've got correction in there twice, actually. Uh, Peace and security. Love that. Um, And so there's so much uh, in this psalm. If you haven't read it or as you read it this week, um, pull out. There there might even be stuff in there that I I haven't even got um, because there is is a lot in there. there was there was one part actually I, I thought I had that in there but I don't I don't um, in verse thirty um, it says they reject uh, my advice and pay no attention when I correct them mm-hmm. um, and that there I, I think the provision there is love which I yes, actually left that fits out. with the Hebrews twelve that the, you know uh, a says you know, a, a legitimate, ch- an illimit- an illegitimate child is not rebuked. Mm. A le- if you are being chastised by the father, disciplined by the father, then you are a legitimate child. Yeah. I think that's the point is that, you know, it's, correction is a sign of love. Yeah. The fact that God loves us enough to correct us and put us on the right path and say, go down this path, that's that's a sign of a, a loving relationship, not that God has turned his back on you. It's actually a sign that he is for you. He's for you, yeah. And so there's that love in there as well, the yeah. provision of provision love. Provision of love. Of, hey, this is, I, love that. I want you to go this way. Here's, here's the wisdom. Mm. Here's the choice that you've yeah. got. Um, 
So yeah, so that's Proverb one. Proverb um, one. And and if you could just literally every time you go and read any of the proverbs, go back to chapter one. Yep. Read verses read one verse to six. One to six. Yep. Get the picture. Yep. And then go and read the proverb that you want. And I know it's a real popular thing on any any month that's got thirty one oh, days. Oh yes, yeah. Read a proverb. However you want to do it. I find that's actually personally find that's not the best way to because the thing is, any any chapter of proverbs has multiple proverbs in it. Each of them could take a month just to work on that just one alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because they are. They're, they're, these are things I think you can read the whole book of Proverbs in a month, but you can take a lifetime to master this. <laughs> exactly um, right. Because there's so much wisdom in these chapters. And even when you're talking there, one thing comes to mind that's probably that I'd mentioned to our listeners is, you know, when you when uh, in the second part of the Proverbs chapter one there, where wisdom becomes personified, she stands on the street, she's calling out. This yeah, picture is calling wisdom is calling out to you. Come on, do it my way. I've got some good things to offer you. I'm going to provide you with fine fare if you'll do it my way. And so wisdom in Proverbs is personified as mm. this woman, as this wise woman. Uh, yep. the, the Bible Project has some really good stuff in their wisdom books and explain how Proverbs is like this. Like she, um, I think they say she's like the wise young school teacher who says, come on, I can show you the right way to live if you'll, if you'll follow me. And then you've already touched on it because you mentioned, and I, I thought I mentioned this because I was not such a big leap for some of our listeners. You mentioned how Jesus is the wisdom. And, you know, you, you applied a few of mm. these Proverbs straight to Jesus. And that's too, that's perfectly good sound theology because Paul actually picks up on this and he calls Christ. He's, Christ is for us the wisdom of God. And so it's it's like Christ is the personification of the woman of wisdom. Mm. And so Jesus' teaching is full of wisdom. So you can take Jesus' teaching, overlay it with the Proverbs, and you'll see there's so many similarities there about, yeah. about the way to wise living. If you do A, B will result. If you do C, D will result. Which one are you going to choose? Yeah. The good one or the bad one? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the way to read Proverbs. Mm. I love um, I love the movie uh, The Shack uh, yep. as a picture. As a picture of that. As the, the picture of of wisdom. Yep. Um, and uh, – The spirit? The, 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 the spirit of wisdom there. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just that moment where um, Mac has to, to go through and, and make a, a very hard choice. And wisdom is – is helping him get to a point of making that choice. And there's just this beautiful scene of just wisdom pulling, just teasing that out, out, out of him. Yeah. And it's just so beautifully yeah. done. And and you just see how how God our Father, how Jesus and the Holy Spirit just does that with yeah. each of us yeah. every day. Yep. Yep. It's just pulling those yep. little bits conforming us to his image yeah little by little little by little you see the way to maturity is the is the one percent choices we make every day yep yeah the little by little come on do it my way yeah come on calling come on. out to you got a choice here Just a little bit more you're gonna eat from the tree and define for yourself or are you gonna give up that tree and trust that I know what's best for you yeah that's the constant voice that um, we have every day mm. that's what wise living's about I mean this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really wisdom. Yeah, he says because the serpent says to he says well, well a serpent deceives them and they say when they saw that the tree was useful for getting wisdom, so it's there's a direct link here between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and this wisdom and God it wasn't that God didn't want to keep wisdom from them like the serpent said it's just that God wanted to teach them to mature in wisdom to learn 
and trust his ability to give them wisdom rather than them taking it for themselves. Yeah. And we constantly do this. That's what you're going to go on and see in uh, probably in Psalm 2 and uh, Proverbs 2. It might be a little bit later on too where it talks about, you know, the man wandering off down the track in, in being caught in the snare. In the snare, yeah. That's what, that's what happens when we try to do it our way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to Proverbs 2 then. Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom. Oh, I love that. Yeah, tune your ears. I'm an old radio guy. Yep. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Oh, words words in my heart right yeah. there. Tune your ears to wisdom, which tells me that you can actually tap into into what you know there is real, a, there is a broadcast of yes. wise <laughs> advice out there of wise living yes there is that we can right. actually get to and go yeah. okay i'm i'm living in a wise way yes. and i can be on that path and be making these constant wise choices yeah and you know that's not necessarily an age thing, nope. or a um, or a wealth thing, or a or anything like that. It's a it's literally a tuning thing, a, a, mm. a maturity thing of getting right understanding yeah. with Christ, yep. and 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 being in that that narrow it's, window. It's, it's really, that, it's a narrow gateway. You know, Jesus says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and many enter it, but narrow is the path that leads to life. And that's this wise life. This is where you find true life. Yeah. Yeah. And it does require discipline. But the thing is, God hasn't left us to figure it out on our own. Um, There is the ability to learn from God. God always intended Adam and Eve to be taught wisdom. He intended to teach them themselves. And here we have a chance to read the book of Proverbs, read this wisdom literature, read the scriptures and learn from it. Yeah. Um, so the verse that stood out for me to start with was verse 13. Mm, okay. It says, Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those uh, whose words are twisted. Oh, so that's verse that's 12. That's verse 12. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. Mm. So they were men who were walking down the right way to start yep. with. Yep, and lost then their way. They've lost their way. So they were they were good. They were they were okay. Yep. And then something happened. Yep. It says they obviously turned away uh, yep. down a tw- from those whose words are twisted. So they probably believed and listened to twisted words themselves and became twisters of words themselves. Yeah. And so for me this was a warning. Yeah. There's a warning here for us. And this is a provision of warning. Of, yeah, provision of hey, warning. Great. I like the way you're doing this. There's something here. Yeah. You know, like we're we're on a right path at the moment, but just because you're on the right path today doesn't mean that Tomorrow, yep. you're still on that uh, r- that right path. If you think if, you're standing firm, take heed lest you fall. Yes. Yeah. It's not just about sitting back and going, mm, everything's great. okay now because yep. I'm set. Yeah, There's great. still a fight mm-hmm. because 
it's it's new mercies every day. Yeah. And we've got to take those new mercies yep. every day. And the word of God, let's take the book of Proverbs, is active. And we can, you know, oh, no, you, you might have memorized the entire book of Proverbs. Not that I know anyone who ever has, but you could have theoretically memorized it. But if you're not constantly working at applying it, all that mm-hmm. knowledge, knowledge applied is wisdom. Yes. Applied knowledge is wisdom. If it's just knowledge that's not applied, it actually isn't healthy. It can actually do worse. Yeah. But applied knowledge will keep us on that path and stop us from going down the the, the path that leads to destruction. Yeah. There is a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs says, but in the end leads to destruction. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, wow, there's a, there's a beautiful warning in here. The Lord's giving us a, there's a yeah. warning of going, hey, like I want you on the right path, but just because you're on the right path, be be diligent. Yeah, don't just assume that you're going to be on the right path all the time. Yes. So there's going to be some hard work here. Yep. It's not a walk in the park. Yep. It's there's going to be there's going to be times where there's going to be people that are going to try and knock you off the path you're on. There's going to be other people that are going to come alongside you and whisper in your ear yep. and tell you, "Oh, there's a better path over here." Yeah, that's there's right. going to be evil doers that are going to yep. tell you, "Hey, look at the temptation over yep. here. Yep. There's a better way over here." You know? That's and, right. And there's, you know, uh, uh, that struck me. I read that and I went, wow, that is a huge warning for yeah, us yeah. of, wow, th- how easy it was. Those men were on the right path mm-hmm. and something went wrong. It says, do not, you know, was it in the previous psalm, where we, previous chapter we read, do not sit in the seat of the wick, the, the scoffers and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's like if you hang out, if you hang out with, with them, the wrong crowd, you're going to end up following them. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. right. Uh, verses uh, 21 and 22, uh, for only the godly will live in the land. There's the land the again. land again. Uh, and those with integrity. Oh, this is what I think, um, this is my question that I was going to with the land, uh, but we'll read these uh, verses anyway. Uh, for only the godly will live in the land uh, and those with integrity will remain in it. But those wicked uh, will be removed from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted. And so the question I had there, the land, what is it referring to? Um, and we've, we've talked about that. But I suppose, you know, with that verse, applying that to what we talked about earlier on, um, you know, bring that to the kingdom of heaven. Yes. That to me, I suppose, really rings home. Yes. Of, if you, if you live with integrity, you will continue to experience the land of the kingdom of heaven in mm. your life. You will continue to see that working out. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 But if you're wicked, God's going to uproot you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yep. expect to have all of the privileges and none of the responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to be selfish with what God has entrusted you with, sooner or later, um, God would be unjust not to uproot you from that because you've chosen a way that is different mm. to His way. If you want God's kingdom blessings, you've got to be prepared to live by kingdom value, God's kingdom values. Yeah, of integrity and graciousness and generosity and all those things. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, um, verses 16, wisdom uh, will save you from the immoral woman. Mm, there we go. Now, blame the woman. Blame the woman. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to put slash man. Yep. Um, for the seductive words of the promiscuous. I'm just going to say promiscuous mm-hmm. um, there. Um, they've abandoned uh, their partner and ignored the covenant they've made before God. 
Um, because this doesn't just apply to, you know, the man yep. being tempted, but yep. you know, man and women, we're, yep. we're humans where yep. we can be tempted, um, you know, uh, in life, um, entering their house will lead to death. Uh, it's a road to the grave. Um, the person that visitors that visits is doomed and they will, uh, they will never reach the path to life. Mm-hmm. Another warning. Yes. Another, yeah. This should be the book of warning, really. It, it really should be. But yeah. it's it's the thing about the beautiful book of thing about the way to apply the book of Proverbs is that it, it presents it presents foolish choices as this pathway. Mm. And it's like get off the off ramp, get onto the on ramp and get sorry, get on the off ramp and get off there because the further down that path you go, the harder it is to come back. Yeah. That's the point it's trying to make. If you will make good decisions at the beginning, you won't be forced to make harder, more complicated, more tempting decisions later on down the track. Because yeah, it's only going to get messier gets, and messier yep. and messier. We get dragged and ensnared. This is the language it uses, which is here. And then in a few chapters time, which we won't do today, where it does talk about uh, looking out the window and seeing this man being trapped in this pathway uh, of this um, prostitute. And then the, the analogy there might just be, it's not just like you say, it's not just about the man. It's about this is what humans do. We get so far down that by the time we we could have stopped it, Easily if we were mm. ready for it. But by the time we find ourselves in a snare, we, we can't get out of that. Yeah. We're so far down the rabbit hole, it's hard to get out. Yep. Um, one thing that I was taught many years ago, I was young, 16, I think, and, and this has stuck with me. Um, not everything stuck with me as a 16-year-old, <laughs> but uh, this one did. Um, and we're in a funeral home uh, with a youth group. Um, That's what you do. Take the youth group to the funeral home. Youth group to the funeral home. It sticks with you. Let me tell you. I bet it does. But um, and the the undertaker was a Christian man, and he was just sharing some life stories. uh, Life stories in a funeral home. They're rare. Uh, But he uh, he did say, "Look, you need to make some decisions in life. So when the hard choices in life come, you've already got an answer." That's right. That's great. And that wisdom has always mm. stuck with me. Mm. So when hard choices come, you've already decided. I've already decided. Yeah. I've already got my answer. So I, I'm, I'm already a no to that. Yep. I don't even have to think about yep. it. Brilliant. It's I've, I've got my answer to yep. that. I don't even need to so, ponder it. So some, some good examples that would come out of Proverbs. So okay, it might be sexual choices. You know, faced with a temptation, I've already decided. Like Job, yep. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look at another woman. It might be, we talked about integrity earlier on. It might be faced with the opportunity, whenever an opportunity comes to, or someone suggests that I cut a corner because I'll get ahead in business, I go, no, I'm sticking to my integrity so that I've I've built that off ramp right yep. at the beginning. I'm not even on that path. Yeah. And it oh, it's just made life so much does, easier so because I've, I've made those decisions. Yep. I'm not tempted in the moment to yep. go, oh, what should I do here? If I do that, it's, oh, I can just, I can make that extra bit of money here or Oh, that'd be quicker there, or oh, that'd feel good now. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have to. You don't even have to think about it. I don't that have to think about it. Already predetermined a wise thing yep. to do. The decision's made. Yeah, it's it's an it's an easy answer. I can see why that stuck with you because hearing it in a free funeral home, it yep. bring, it's confronting. By <laughs> we're all mortal. Yep. We could all end up. We're all going to end up in this place one day. Exactly yeah. right. And wow. and the guy was, you know, he wasn't a freaky guy or anything yeah. like that. He just had some really good bits of wisdom and. And the way he just he spoke about just making good decisions and mm. good choices, 
that just stuck with me. And Brilliant. wow, it, 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 it stuck ever since. And making good decisions well before you need to yep. make them. So you know when the time comes to make that yep. decision, you've already yep. you don't even need to think about yeah. it. And oh, it's made my life so much easier. Totally. I'm just thinking of an example over many years ago, you know, probably less happens these days, I think, or I don't notice it. But you know, once upon a time, you know that all the um, you know, potential Playboy magazines or everything were on the sh- the bottom shelf, right where people could walk into a service station. And years ago I determined what I'm gonna do. And every time I go to the service station, I'm gonna fill up my car, I'm gonna put my put the bowser back, I'm gonna look at the floor, I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna stare at the floor, I'm gonna walk up, talk to the ca- ca- the cashier, look back at the floor, and walk straight back out. And I pr- I did that for many years, and I was getting petrol. I was a photocopier technician. I was getting petrol time and time and time mm. again. And um, I don't even think about doing that anymore. But I, it was something where I had made a covenant that I was gonna do that right from the start to build an off-ramp before temptation came. Yeah. It was just one of those, like you said, it was a predetermined decision which helped yep. to make wise choices in life. And so they're the sorts of things we can we can firm up and make wise choices before we need to make wise choices. Make right cho- yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. right. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier earlier on to make those choices. And, and if you read the book of Proverbs that way, you'll see that because – there's so many of these general principles. If you do this, this will happen. Mm. So you can go, okay, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to, you know, unjust, uh, fair scales, unjust scales and all that sort of stuff. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to always be integrous in my dealings around um, finances and money and weights and measures and, you know, making sure that I'm, I, I'm not going to charge people for work I haven't done or whatever it might be if you're in business. They're predetermined decisions that – make it easier down the track to make those to, to, to make the right choices, don't they? Yep, exactly yeah. right. So the provision in this uh, uh, chapter is guidance, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, discernment, treasure of common sense, protection, and deliverance. Wow, lots of them. You're f- I mm. love the way you're finding these. And there's promises. only 22 verses. And you found <laughs> 11 or something there. Yeah. I'm so. intrigued. I'm, I'm impressed that you have, because the standard question I've had throughout this podcast series is, uh, Pastor Rowan, where is the protection in this chapter or whatever? And I've my standard line is, well, it's not in every chapter. I've just tried to blend it. But you've done a superb job of finding provision in all of these chapters, I was reading over these chapters this morning on the way. I'm going, oh, there's not a lot of provision in here, but I I love the way you've done that because you've you've thought about provision as being all of these different promises of God mm. that He would provide to us. It's brilliant. Yeah, provision isn't just always money. No, it's not. No, it's not always money. And I think uh, one of the things we'll, we might talk about once we get into the New Testament things, we might we might talk about how that can relate to money. Um, but but it's, it's not only money. It's not only money. Yeah, great. I love that. I love what you've done there. So that's Proverbs chapter 2. Now we've got Proverbs 3. You got anything else in chapter no. 2 first? All right. No, let's move to, to 3. Chapter 3. Okay, Proverbs 3, titled Trusting in the Lord. Okay, so we're going to jump straight into verses 12 and 13. All right. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects (laughs) a child in whom he delights. There's that word delight again. There's that word delight. The Lord Mm. is delighting. The Lord's delighting now. So we were delighting in the Lord. Well, the Lord's delighting in us. 
Yeah. Okay. So he's joyful in us. He's like he's you know the what was the word um, uh, flexible, the, the flexible, pliable, pliable, malleable, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, that's right. In us. Um, so what can this look like in our lives today? What does it look like when the Lord's disciplining us, when he's providing correction uh, to see. us? Yeah. What does that look like in our lives today? Usually it's often the things that we think are not God. Uh, so it could be hardship, mm-hmm. pressure, uh, coming underneath some kind of uh, you know lack or some sense of lack in your world. It may be others that are coming against you, like we've seen in that previous psalm. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we jump to thinking, oh, that's not God. Now, you get into a theological discussion about whether God does it or God allows it, and that's probably beyond the scope of this conversation. But I think discipline, discipline is hard. Like Hebrews 12 quotes that you just said, this is literally what it says. It's a direct quote from what you just said. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And verse 7 says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child that was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children. Since we respected our earthly fathers who discipline us, shouldn't we submit more to the discipline of the father and live forever? The question is, what does that discipline Mm. look like? The discipline looks like hardship. Because Hebrews, the people in Hebrews were going through hardship. So discipline is, is is difficult. And the question is, do we see it as the devil? Do we see it as um, God instigating it? I actually think that question is kind of moot because of the redemptive nature of God. Whether it's the devil doing it or God's allowing it is not as much important as the fact that God will redeem it and use it in us Yes, to, dis, to shape character in us. That's right. It's God using it for the good. good. He will use it for good in, in us. us. Yes, that's right. Whether it's... He's doing, yep, or or the devil, or, or our own enemy, stupid fault, or, or whatever. Exactly, yes, there's exactly three causes right. for hardship. Yes, but the point is, God's redemptive in all of them. And I think that's where we we get ourselves in trouble, don't we? We we forget there's three players on the stage. Yes, right. There's God, the yep. you know the God, the Trinity. Yep, uh, on the stage. Yep. There's us on the stage, and there's our enemy. Yep. The, you know, the enemies on the yes, stage as yeah. well. Sometimes we just put ourselves and the Trinity on the stage yep. and we blame everything on yep. God. Yep. Uh, we forget there's the enemy on the yep. stage and we sometimes we forget that we're on the stage and as well. That's we the play one we often forget. We, we blame the devil. <laughs> we blame God. We forget to, <laughs> we forget to blame old, ourselves there's an, sometimes. There's an old lyric in one of Don Francisco's songs that said something like, um, I said, don't yell at your wife and don't kick the cat. Just tell God the truth. You'll listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's your your own fault. The lyric went something like, it's your own fault. You went ahead and did it. Something like that. Exactly right. We made a stupid choice. We chose the unwise thing to do. And the consequence of that was um, hardship. Yeah. But even then, God will use, he won't waste anything. Discipline is not bad. It's time and time again. We're singing in that psalm. We're singing in Hebrews, commenting on it here. Discipline is God. God disciplines those he loves. Yeah. And so yep. if we will yield to that discipline, we'll, here's the thing, thing I've found in my life time and time again. Um, God loves me too much to let me off too quickly. Mm. My pastor, Bob, who discipled me, used to say, Rowan, God is more interested in the production of your character than the provision of your comfort. <laughs> and we're talking about provision today because we want to go straight to comfort. Yes. And God's going, no, I've got character to teach you in the uncomfortableness of this situation. And it's not my it's not good for you if I move you straight to comfort. 
because yeah. you won't be shaped and you'll be you won't be conformed to my image the way you will if you learn to endure the discomfort. I'm actually providing you with discomfort. I'm not providing you with comfort at yeah. this moment. I um, we have to go through trials. Mm. Um, and I always believe that God's preparing us in advance for works that yep. we are yep. to do in the future yep. and works that we have got no idea that are, that are coming. Yep. And it's not for the next season, but it might be for three or four seasons time Correct. that he's preparing us I'd go now. Through. Some of them might even be for roles in eternity, <laughs> yes. roles in the new kingdom. Yep, that's right. And so we're being prepared and that, that can be through trials yep. and and corrections and hardships and all that sort of stuff. We're being prepared and and that means that there's going to be stuff that, you know, there's going to be hard. Yeah. And so being when we're being prepared for things, that means we, we're going to have to go through stuff. Yep. Um, which means our character needs to be built. Yep. That's and right. if, if the church's character isn't being built, when I say the church's character, it means us, the mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. If our characters aren't being built, the church is very, very weak. Yep. And if we look at the church's character yep, over the last 50 to 60 years, yep, I agree. We could probably all agree that the character of the church has probably been the weakest it's uh, yep. ever been. And it's probably had a lot to do with the fact that we haven't had significant challenges. Yeah. We've and lived in relative comfort. Yeah. And yep. so we need our character built. Yep. And we want our character built. We want it to be strong. We want the church to be strong. And so sometimes instead of us whinging and walking away going, oh, this is too hard now. And, uh, you know, I, I tried God and it was just too hard and he, he, he wasn't making it easy for me. So why bother? Yep. I could just make it easy for myself uh, by turning my back on him and just doing it my own way because it was just easier. That seemed easier at the time. Yeah, like, Hang on. It's crazy. When it's not it's not a logical decision, <laughs> but when we're going through hard times, we don't necessarily think logically. If we haven't made these predetermined decisions. Yeah. So a predetermined decision that says, I'm going to stick this out. This life is going to be hard, but no matter what, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to make that commitment to myself, to my spouse, to my spiritual director, my pastor. I'm going to stick this out. Yeah. It's, not, it's going to be times when I don't feel like it, but I'm going to stick at it. That's I, a predetermined wise decision to make. I always look at Job and I go, wow, if Job could stick this out. Yep, that's a great way to look at it. If he can do it, I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, exactly right because he went through he th he went through a lot more. Yep, that's right. <laughs> he went through so much that's more. That's right. And, uh, and yeah, I, I look at that and go, wow, what, what, I'm, what I'm going through in my life yeah. is nothing you can compared make it. You can to make what it, he went through. Yep. So that's and like so, your pet talk to yourself. That's exactly Come on, if right. Job can get through this, if I can Job get through If Job can my... get through this, I can yeah, get through that's it. that's right. You know? that's a, but that is one of those predetermined wise decisions that says, okay, I'm going to keep going. It's yeah. great. I love it. Yep. Hebrew, Hebrews 12, this little passage, it finishes with, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. That's on the back of this whole discipline thing. Mm. So it's saying God is disciplining you. It's painful. It's hard, just like it says, but he's doing it because he loves you. Yeah. So come on, take it and fresh grip, hold on. Let's go, I'm going to mark out a new path. I'm not going to go down a path of going my way. I'm going to mark down a path of going God's way. Yeah. And if I do that, he is faithful and I'll actually become stronger, not weaker as a result of that. Yeah. 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 So God disciplines those he loves is a sign of his goodness toward us. It's not a bad thing. 
That's right. Not at all. Okay, verses 21 to 23, it says, My child, don't lose sight of common sense Mm -hmm. and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They keep you safe on your way, and your feet will not stumble. Common sense and discernment Mm. are like precious jewels on a necklace. Love it. What a good analogy. And like precious jewels on a necklace, you know where they are and you keep them with you. Yes. Has discernment lost its place in our everyday lives for believers? Wow. That's my question, Pastor Rowan. Has Has discernment lost lost its place? In the everyday lives of believers. Well, I don't want to generalize and say um, everyone has lost discernment, but I think we probably, as a general rule, maybe we're not teaching or helping people to understand that the importance of these kind of wise, discerning, common sense decisions. There's a lot of people who lack common sense in church life. And they don't even perhaps see the value in common sense. Maybe because we're Pentecostal, maybe because we're over spiritual, we um, you know, we we check out common sense and think, oh, we don't need that. We we can hear from God, and God God can just tell us stuff like you know, let's just listen to the Lord. The problem is, I don't trust myself enough to hear from God through one hundred percent with any mm. clarity. So I want to maintain common sense. I want to maintain discernment. I want to maintain people in my world who can speak to me, who can see things that I can't see. Have we lost that? Sadly, I think, yes, mm. we really have lost much of that. And in the, we're not treasuring it because I love the way you said it there. It's like jewels on a necklace kept safe. You, you, you treasuring something you want to keep safe. So I think that's the key. Are we, are we treasuring these wise, discerning choices, this common sense? Pastor Phil says, um, I heard him say it a few times over the years. He says, God wants your heart, but he wants you to keep your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we think, oh, we've got to, to give him our heart is to give him our head as well. He's going, no, no, no. I, I want you to keep your head. I want you to use common sense. And I've also heard him say, you know, he's a spirit-filled leader who's passionate about the things of the supernatural, but he says, I want Christians to live in such a way that they need less miracles. Mm. Oh, that's good. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's good. Which is, otherwise, if you'll exercise enough common sense, you won't need miracles as much in your life because you'll play out, the natural laws of the world will play out the way God has wired things. I want Christians to live in such a way that they need less miracles. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, he's talking there to common sense and discernment. Yeah. Just, just doing the right thing, making the wise choices. Mm. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Mm. Um, verse 34 jumped out and like just smacked me in the face, um, which was awesome. Uh, the Lord mocks mockers, mm. um, uh, but he's gracious to the humble. Um you know, I don't want to be on the wrong side no, here. Not the wrong um, side of the Lord's mocking. Yeah, this is an argument I'm not going to win. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, you just want to be you want to be in the room, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> if you like David in Psalm 37, yeah. you definitely want to be in the room. You want to be. You in want the to room. be in the room to see when God brings justice to the mockers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, again, it's a, another picture, isn't it? You know, the, the Lord is is going to fight the battles. Yeah. He's he's you know like. If I'm, if I'm being mocked, if I've got an enemy, and you know, or I've got the devil being my enemy that's mocking me, that he's going to the Lord, going, "Oh, look at Shannon again." Yeah, you know, look, he's just not, he's just not up to the task that you've given him. He's just not, you know, look, he, like he's accusing Job. Yeah, yeah, who, do you know, you, who does he think he is? That's right. Yeah. You know, like, 
oh, look, so-and-so could do that so much better. You know, why don't you give it to yeah. him, you know? And, yeah. and then the Lord just letting rip. <laughs> you know, like I want to be in that room yeah. when that, that day happens. Yeah, um, come on. Because – I just, you know, I reckon the Lord would be able to hold his own. I reckon he could hold his own with the best of mockers, you reckon? You You reckon when it comes to sarcastic taunts, he's up there? I reckon he had a way with words. (laughs) I reckon he had a way with words. Um, Well, you see it in Jesus' Jesus' teaching of, you know, rebuking of the Pharisees. It's amazing. He he certainly has a way with words. Yeah. yeah, So the the provision here, there's there's some significant provisions um, in in Proverbs 3, um, so the provision of health, peace, wisdom, and understanding. And I think the wisdom and understanding, there's not always both. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's just wisdom mm-hmm. and there's wisdom and understanding. Mm-hmm. How so, do you differ the two? So there can be wisdom that's there. So there's here's some wisdom, but then there's wisdom and understanding, which is you're going to get the wisdom and you're going to get the understanding of that wisdom as okay, well. Yep. So there's a, I think there's a connection of both. Right. Yeah. I'll look uh, into that because I've wondered that too. I've seen because oftentimes the two words are parallel beside each other, and I'm often wondered are they the same thing or are they two different things? Yeah, I think there's two different things. Yeah, I think right. there's wisdom yep. and there's wisdom and understanding. Yeah, okay. So the understanding of the wisdom yep. that's being said there. Um, there's the provision of favor uh, in Proverbs three. A provision of success, of guidance, of wealth, correction, common sense, discernment, happiness is in there as well. Mm. Uh, safety, protection, friendship, blessing, uh, grace, and honor. Wow, there's a lot in there, isn't there? In uh, Proverbs 3. Wow, love the way you've done this. I think uh, I'm going to need to go back and listen to your provisions one by one that you listed there in each chapter and then... Spend time meditating on them. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful proverb as well. So mm. if you, again, if you haven't read this one yet, um, hit the pause button, read the read whole the thing, thing, yep, and then look for those provisions because it's great. Yeah, it's it was full. That's it. It certainly is. Well, that's our five yeah. Old Testament chapters. So we're now we're heading into the book of Luke to carry on with our. What are we doing? Luke five, Luke six, five. eight, twelve, and thirteen, or something like that. Yes. I think. Yep, that sounds right. All right, we'll go there now. Okay, Luke 5. Now, if I was going to, you know, the, the question, oh, if you go and meet Jesus and all that sort of stuff, where would it be? This would be the place. Yep. Luke 5 mm-hmm. or the, the the story in Luke 5 of where Jesus is walking along the shore and comes to the boats. Mm-hmm. They've been out all night. They've caught nothing. And Jesus says, hey, just push the boat out a little bit. Teaches and then says, Hey, now go out and catch, you know, go go and cast your nets. Yep. That I want to be there for that moment. Yep. That moment where Simon turns to Jesus and says, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. And then there's a moment and and it doesn't say it. But you got to read between the lines. I think sometimes you got to read between the lines because there's a but in here. <laughs> but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. There's a look. There's a look there from Jesus to Simon, Peter, 
Yeah. Because <laughs> after this, he's never called Simon again. He's called Simon Peter. Right. Or, or, or Peter. Peter. Yep. <laughs> but I, I reckon there's a look that Jesus has <laughs> to, to, to Simon. That makes him say. <laughs> that makes him okay, go. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> but if you say so, <laughs> right. we'll go back out. <laughs> we, well, I've never <laughs> thought about it like a look, but there has. you're right because – there has to be something substantial that makes a hardened fisherman have another go when he's already tired and exhausted. Because he knows there's no fish there's here no at fish the moment. Out there. We've done this all night. Yeah. And now it's day. Yeah. They're, they're gone. Yeah. There's nothing that's not happening. And so it, it, there's either two things. It's got to be something to do with what Jesus was just teaching about. Yep. That, what was Jesus teaching about that Jesus gave him that look to go, Really? Did you not just hear what, what I, I just, just said? Spoke yep. about? Yeah. What what was I just saying? Yeah. Did you not hear what I was saying? Really? Yeah. And so so I was like, oh, but uh, if uh, you've said so, okay, okay. Look, well, so there must have been something Jesus was just teaching the people. Yep. Including that, that inspired him enough to go back to out. To go there. back out. Yep. So I, we don't know what it is. No, it's we, not. It's, it's implied, it, isn't it? It's, it's not implied. there. It's implied. It's not there. We're not. We're not told but I, I would love to know what was Jesus teaching um that that made Simon trust Jesus enough to to get that look yep <laughs> to get Simon to go okay fine you know all right let's, let's go do, let's have a go <laughs> I've worked all night yep <laughs> I'll go back out um you know to to go and throw those nets back in that that's my moment. I would love to have been in that moment. <laughs> just to see, just to what, see what, what, what transpired between the what two of them. Transpired, right. There's a look there. Yep. I reckon I, I, I want to see the look. Yeah. Right. That's probably my question. There's, I've, I've got three questions now. Um, and one of them to, to God is look, mosquitoes. I just don't understand. <laughs> why mosquitoes? I was going to say why cockroaches. What, that, that's my question. Why mosquitoes? I don't understand. Um, that's one of my questions. And th- what was the look? What, was, probably, the look? what was the look? <laughs> Show me the look because yeah. I reckon there's a look there. Um, but, yeah, I think there's this that beautiful moment there of that Jesus must have just had with – and and, and f- for Simon just to go, there's something about this man. Yeah. There's something here. Totally. I've just met him. Yep, that's the irony of it. He's literally just met him. It would appear from this story. Yeah, he's just he's seen him for the first time. Yeah, and and then he has a moment. Yep, yep. <laughs> he has this moment um, of they go out, they cast the nets, and they need they need help. Yeah, there's so many. Nets. There's so many. So they many fill fish. two boats and they almost sink yep. both boats. Yep. Um, and then in verses eight to nine, and when Simon Peter realizes what has happened. He falls on his knees before Jesus and says, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that he'd caught, and uh, as were the others with him. And our reaction to the Lord when we are overwhelmed, um, when he overwhelms us, is that we can push him away because we don't feel that we're worthy, we're good enough uh, for him. Um, and we need to uh, look at this in another way that he's chosen to overwhelm us. Yes, good point. To bless us in spite of what's going on in our worlds um, and that we should embrace and turn towards 
him and embrace him. Yep. Um, and and Simon Peter eventually does that and, and embraces Jesus. Takes him a little while, but he does come around. Yes, he does. Yes, that's um, right. And I think, you know, there's a lesson in there for us is to actually embrace. Totally. Um, yep. And so often we run. Yeah, and that's you know, that's a natural tenet human tendency there is to, well, he's aware of his sinfulness in comparison to the greatness of God. And so a natural response, and a bit, it's a bit like we were talking about before with awe. It says he was overcome with awe because, well, he was overcome with awe because of the miracle, but the miracle meant that he was overcome with awe because of who Jesus was. Yeah. We can do with a bit of that awe. We can do with a bit of that, oh, I'm a sinful person. I remember hearing my Bible college lecturer, Ken Chance, say that the, one of the hallmarks of all the great saints was their innate awareness of their sinfulness. Mm. That's what makes you a saint is this awareness of the distance between you and God. But but not in this sense of wanting to run, but acknowledging that we don't deserve to be here. Mm. But God in his grace is still coming. Like he turns, he says to, says to Peter, says to Simon, don't be afraid. Yeah. Hey, stick with me. I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. Yeah. Fisher of people. So Fisher of people from now so on. From now on. Yeah. So this is and that that then enhances the awe even more. I don't deserve to be in God's presence, but he is so good. He's provided me with a way into his presence. Yeah. And that makes me even more awestruck. I'm awestruck that he's great compared to my my level of sinfulness and my frailties, but I'm even more awestruck that he's prepared to come and meet with me despite those that sinfulness and frailties. Mm. Yeah. In verse 12, um, it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with advance, an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, uh, begged to be healed. And the Lord said, If you are willing, um, he said to the Lord, um, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, my question is, is the bowing of the leper's face is this out of shame or was it because he somehow divinely knew that this was the Lord Jesus? Wow. I'm going to go with the latter. I mean, there's no way to 100% know why he bowed his face. And yes, it's true that lepers would have mm. shielded themselves and so on. But I'm going to go based on the context of Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Is definitely this awareness of the greatness yeah. of God because like this is Jesus like this is very early on yeah this like is early he, stages yeah of he history. hasn't called his disciples no, yet no. this he is yeah right early he, he's on he's getting started in his ministry yeah. in and Luke's so gospel yeah he he wasn't known by really anyone no. at this stage but this man has got some revelation of him yes maybe he was hovering around on the peripheral of the previous story by the beach, couldn't come too close to the crowd, but, you know, saw what was going on from a distance. We don't, we don't know. We're, we're not, le- mm-hmm. nothing wrong with taking a bit of poetic license and thinking these things through, but somehow or other, he has some understanding, I think, of who God is. Or he wouldn't be saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I mean, that's a big thing for a leper to yeah. say. Yeah, whether he'd seen the previous miracle yep. of the fish. Or something, because there's something there, isn't yep. there? Yep. Like I seen that the bowing that, that that's the the bit that stood out in these verses. Like yep. it wasn't, you know, like Jesus did the miracle of when the man saw Jesus, he bowed his face to the ground, begging to be healed. So bowing is a sense of abasement; it's placing yourself under. So under, it, yeah. it's somehow it's a little bit like 
Peter saying, go away from me, I'm sinful. There's definitely some awareness of, of humility there. But, but it's interesting Luke would choose that because that would go, that would be implied for a mm. leper. A leper would be seen as shameful. A leper would, a leper would, um, you know, or inherently do that. So that would go, we go without saying that the leper would have been that way. So I think um, it's just speculation, but I think it has to be linked more to that's a sign of his respect that he, the, that he is even coming and presenting himself to Jesus. I mean, mm. lepers are supposed to be saying unclean, unclean, stay away, stay away. Somehow or other, this man has mustered the faith to, to come and bow, to, to come and bow mm. and to even get close enough to bow is and and be heard bowing. I mean, that's you got to be pretty close to be heard bowing. Yeah. So he's probably right at well, he is right at Jesus' feet because it says Jesus reached out and touched him and said, mm. "I'm willing," which in itself is a, a law-breaking thing for Jesus to touch to a leper, touch the leper, yeah, and cleanse the leper because they believed, according to the Mosaic law, that the leper's disease got onto them if they touched the leper, rather than the life force coming out from mm. Jesus to heal the leper. So I think there's somehow or other this man has got. An incredible amount of faith. Yeah, I, I love. Uh, I think uh, is it in this part here? Um, yeah, Jesus says, "Now don't go and tell anyone." Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> now don't go and tell anyone. You yeah. know, because Jesus at this point is like, "I'm not announcing myself." No, I'm, it's right. I'm just, you know, it's and and I think this is the uh, where I was talking earlier on about this is the coattails of Jesus's grace flowing out. There's so much grace is yeah, a, it's great. The coattails of his from grace. him. Yep. That he can't help himself, yeah. but but respond to, to yep. the compassion yep. and the love for people yep. that he has. Yep. He can't help but to heal. Yeah, to to respond. He, he can't ignore mm. the the need that's there. And yeah, I, I, the picture I have is just he's dripping in grace. I love that. He's dripping in grace, and and so that's you know it it wasn't that he's trying to keep this a secret it's just that i'm not ready to i'm not i'm not ready for this next stage don't go and tell anyone yet because yep. it, it's not my time now that's but, right he's it, exactly i mean he's, <laughs> it says he had to in the end he had to withdraw to lonely places yeah which which means i don't know whether or not he thought he was going to get some groundswell of people following him but i don't think that seems to be his intention at this stage no 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 it was that's not, his intention isn't to get the big crowd no. but he, he sort of knew that. Oh look, I it, I can't help. I've I can't help. It. But I've done it again. I've <laughs> done. I've done it again. I've created a need. I've created something where they're not going to be able to help themselves. It's going to create a crowd for me. Yeah. But my compassion for the hurting and my response to a cry of faith is such that I'm compelled to to heal. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, it's like Jesus is responding in compassion and he's responding to faith. Yeah. Uh, versus. Um, uh, so then Jesus uh, goes on to heal a paralyzed man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is uh, in the temple, I believe. Uh, no, sorry. This is in one of the houses. This is in one of the, the houses uh, on the – no, not on the Sabbath. This is uh, this is where he's blasphemed, uh, I believe. So uh, – This is a sleeping mat story. This is the it? sleeping mat story. Yes. So, uh, again, this is this would be a great – Oh, this one. Would. You want friends like this. Yeah. These are the friends you want in yeah. life. This is yeah, this totally. is who you want to do life with. When they've done this scene on the chosen, I think haven't they? They have. They have. This is an awesome crumbling, scene. Crumbling, starting to fall it out. Is of, great. Yes, that's right. Everyone's looking up at the. You've got the Romans yep. there. It's yeah, all it's, happening. It's really this good. action, and they yeah. sneak Jesus out afterwards because yeah. it's a commotion. Yep. And, oh, it's awesome. Uh, so, um, the Pharisees are there. They're they're not happy, and so 
Um, Here's what happens in verse 21 through to 26. I'm going to read this. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them. I love how Jesus – see, this is where I think Jesus could – um, he, he'd be up, up for mocking of mine. Oh. Like he's, he's, he's good for it. Yep. Um, and so he asked them, uh, why do you question this in your hearts? So he knows what's going on in their hearts. Uh, is it easy to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. (laughs) And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat and went home. Now that's the, like, you just imagine the scene, right? It's like a play. (laughs) It's like set the whole thing up. And, and it just, it erupted. It went wild. Couldn't help himself then, could he? (laughs) Everyone was uh, gripped. We have seen amazing things today. wonder and awe. And they praise God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Yeah, you're right, you have. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the Pharisees weren't overly pleased. No. (laughs) Um, Now, the people were in great wonder and awe what Jesus had done, and they'd left them praising God. But the Pharisees were focused on the rules and the law where Jesus was all about grace and the abundance to all. Mm I suppose that's the opposite, right, of of where we can sometimes be even in church where we should be about the abundance of all. If someone new walks in yeah. to church, right, they mightn't be dressed. The way we thought they should the be. The way they, we, we expect someone to yep. be dressed with our expectations. Yep. They're not behaving the way that we expect them to behave. They're not meeting our standards that we want all about us yep without any abundance about them yep we become the pharisees yeah we are more <laughs> pharisaical than we like to right. admit totally <laughs> about us and us with rules and laws yep, yep. <laughs> about what we think standards should be yep. and they we've got a visitor coming in trying to connect with jesus <laughs> We've put all these unnecessary barriers in the way, which is what the Pharisees did, and Jesus rebuked them for this time and time and time again. Yep. So how do we break down some of those barriers in our church world? How do we do that? Um, so this is a good question that I often talk and talk to with our teams and so on. I say it's it's an understanding of the grace of God and how he is how he has treated us, which is the primary answer to breaking down a pharisaical, self-righteous, judgmental attitude towards others. In fact, I can't think of another antidote other than to recognize that there but for the grace of God go I. To, to, because we so easily fall into this trap of thinking we get our salvation by the way we do things, by the rules we keep. And it's good to do good things. It's good to be a good person. I mean, the Pharisees were... They get a bad rap at times because 
they were probably, you know, out of all the, 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 the five different Jewish sects, Jesus was more closely aligned with the Pharisees than any of the others. Mm. The zealots, he wasn't that kind of person. He wasn't an Essene. He wasn't living out in the desert like John the Baptist. He wasn't a Sadducee. Um, he, he was closest to the Pharisees in terms of his religious practice. And yet he, um, he unlike the Pharisees who were self-righteous and fell into that trap of thinking that their righteousness and their right living mm. and keeping rules was the thing, the distinguishing mark. How do we avoid it? The only way we avoid it is to recognize that all of our best efforts will come up short. Yeah. And that's what Paul, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He understood Pharisaical living. And he came to that realization that I, I can't keep enough rules. Yeah. I, I need to recognize God. I'm saved by grace. And yeah, I should live right. And there should be, there should be expectant expectations on how I conduct myself now. But first and foremost, I am saved by grace and I am no different to anybody else that walks into a church service. That's the only way I can see, Shannon. I think it's it's come as you are. Yes, that's right. Because if if you put yourself back into the shoes when you first walked in, yep, that's right. You come as you were, yep. and you didn't know any better. Yep, that's exactly right. Do you we know what I mean? Got to do that, we have we, to do. We that. have to keep putting ourselves back into yep. that first timer's yep. shoes. Yep, and and we accept people as they are, mm. and when we don't do that. Well, what a loss. Yeah. What a, uh, not a loss just for that person, mm. but for the kingdom. Oh, totally. And, yep. oh, the pain, the pain, the pain, the pain yeah, if, we've caused. If, if, when, when people look down at other people, it, it just creates incredible oh. judgment and it actually reinforces people's shame. I yeah. don't belong. No. I'm and hopeless. It, and that's not the kingdom of God. No, it's not. not that's not the kingdom no. of God. That That is opposite. And so I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's come as you are. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I think when we, when we come back to that and we embrace, you know, the imperfectness of what the kingdom is, yep. because it is everyone yep. at different stages and ages and the mess, it's messy. Yep. And that's, that's the beautifulness that's right. of it. Yep. Messy um, kingdom. Yeah. It's. And that's the the beautiful picture, um, verses thirty seven to thirty nine, and um, you know we we're just talking about the Pharisees. This sort of wraps up a little bit of the yes, Pharisees, and in in Luke thirteen, more of the Pharisees yep. come out. And I think this this all links um, back in, but uh, it goes on to say, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks old wine seems to want new wine. The old wine just is just fine, they say. How does this actually relate to our lives? Are we stuck sometimes on the old wine and we just go, but the old wine's good. It's good enough or it's it works for enough. me. Yep. It's fine. Or it's better. Oh, this old wine just is better. It's better. Yeah. The way we, the way we always did church is better. It's better. It's better. And that, that's how it applies. It applies. It's actually, it's actually a spiritual principle, but it's actually a sociological principle as well. It's a human behavior principle that we want comfortable. We want familiar. 
And Jesus is is calling them to account for that and saying, if you settle for what is familiar, you will miss the new thing that God is doing. Mm. And so, you know, he's using the analogy of wineskins, which for our listeners, um, it, the reason they use that analogy is because they would put wine into literally animal skins and the skins would expand as the they would put in unfermented wine into the skins and as the wine fermented, the skin would expand. And uh, so then what would happen is if you put a new wine, unfermented wine into an already stretched wine skin, then when it tried to ferment, it overstretched and burst. burst so that's yeah. why he was saying it needs to, new unfermented wine needed to go into a new wine skin. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming with new wine. I'm coming to do a new thing. Yeah. That's very much the heart of God. Behold, I will do a new thing time and time again. But we, <clears throat> the, the deception comes because the old wine was good for a time. Mm. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, and because it seemed to work then, we assume it's always going to work. We, under, we don't understand this principle of God is always doing new things. So it applies to us in church life. Uh, I think it applies to us in the way we do church. I think even COVID has shown us that we need to rethink the way we do church. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it just because something we thought something always worked didn't. So it applies to us in, in the style and structure of church services and, and church programs. Um, it applies to us individually in our own lives in that we, we can fall into the trap of thinking that uh, my particular religious pra- practices or devotional life or the way I relate to God is is always going to be the same or worked for me there. And, and what happens is we empty it of its, um, we empty of its power and we're left with an empty wineskin mm. or, or an empty shell. Um, I think it's Timothy. Paul says to Timothy um, that we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power of God. Yeah. So we can end up with the shell of the thing and miss the spirit of the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and this isn't any way to, you know, denigrate, say, the Salvation Army. It's a beautiful people in the Salvation Army. But if you compare the level of spiritual life in the Salvation Army today with what was in there when William and Catherine Booth started the thing, it was so vibrant. It was so full. And and the the wineskin that held that spirit was the, the social justice on the streets of London and caring for the poor. Mm. Very good wineskin. But when they institutionalized the wineskin... God moves on to do something different and they were unable to um, move with the times. Another analogy Pastor Phil, I've heard Pastor Phil use is God's a river and he's always moving. We get in the river, we experience God and we go, hey, this is really good. Then we jump out of the river and say, let's park a memorial. Let's set up a camp right here by the riverbank. Scrat <laughs> a pool. Scrat a pool. Exactly right. Let's just have a pool right here. Meanwhile, the river's still flowing and for a time there's some life there. But you were supposed to say in the riverbank, and yeah. that means structures change. That's what Jesus is rebuking them for. It wasn't even anything wrong with the Pharisees putting their rules and regulations in place. There, historically, if you treat why they went about doing that in the early centuries before Christ, there's good reason for it, for creating the um, the Talmud and all these other um, commentaries on the Torah that they had. It's just that they institutionalized the wineskin and missed the wine in the wineskin. Mm. I think that's what he's rebuking them for and challenging us to. Yeah, great. Yeah. So the provision I had in Luke 5 was the provision for of work. So the large catch of fish was work. Work. You had to Healing. work to do. Yep. Um, cleansing. Yep. Forgiveness. Restoration. Purpose. Identity. Spiritual insight. Power. Authority. And wisdom was the provision. <laughs> You're that, um, amazing, Shannon. That comes You're through. absolutely right. I love the way you've thought of these. 
You've read the scriptures through the lens of, okay, there's provision here. Wow, it's so good, Shannon. So, yeah, that's our provision for Luke 5. Yeah. And I don't doubt that you couldn't do that with other themes too, you know, because that's the way that God works. He, he themes his promises into scripture. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. All right, Luke 5. Now we're going to go to Luke 6. Luke 6. Okay, Luke 6. Oh, Jesus loves an argument, doesn't he? <laughs> he loves an argument. Yeah, he liked to, uh, yeah, kind of bait them, didn't he? Oh, picks a fight. I love it. Oh, gee. Stir <laughs> the know, waters like it says stir, in the, stirs stir the, the water. Stirs the water. Oh, wow. So uh, it starts off with a, a little brisk walk. A little brisk walk. Uh, one Sabbath day, Jesus walking through some grain fields and his disciples break off the heads of grain, rub them together, uh, robs the husk and they eat the grain. And some of the Pharisees say, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And so geez, you can see Jesus straight away going, oh, here, going, we go. oh here we go. Here we go. Here we go. missed it. And uh, I love Jesus when he just goes, which argument am I going to go with? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like which the David one will do for this. Which which one? Which one? Oh, okay. You know what? Let's go Old Testament. Let's, you know, they love the Old Testament. Let's go there. The New Testament hasn't quite hasn't, been written yet. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. <laughs> we'll go Old Testament with them. You know, and he goes, haven't you, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did uh, when he uh, and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests could eat. He also gave some to his companions, and Jesus added, and the Son of Man is the Lord even over the Sabbath. Full stop. Yep. Mic drop moment. Yep. And just, like, own the Sabbath. Yeah. Like, he's just going, the Sabbath is mine. Yep. I'm owning the Sabbath. Hey, for anyone who doesn't think Jesus claimed to be God, this is actually one of them. For a Jew to hear someone claim this that they were Lord over the Sabbath was was pretty high up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and at this point, he still hasn't caught his disciples yet. He's still not announcing himself into a like right. into ministry. Yep. He's this is he's this is starting the claim. small still. Yep. He's, he's going right. I'm owning this. Yeah. Right. This is mine. So then, just to uh, just to instill on another Sabbath day. Yep. Straight away. Further on, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue and Jesus was teaching. So Jesus is, he's, he's no slouch in like in ministry. No, no. Right. So he's, he's teaching, he's, he's already, no, but he's no, he's, he hasn't got, um, so he's, he's come up underneath a rabbi. So he's, but he's not a rabbi himself yet. So he hasn't called his disciples to teach. Yep. Yet, yep. so he's he's come up under a rabbi, and so he's got he's just about to get to his next part to to go on to be a rabbi himself. So he's he's doing his thing, he's you know he's, he's teaching, um, and so the teachers of religion, the law, and the Pharisees uh, watch Jesus closely. So they're they're going, there's something here. He's making waves. Where. What are we going to do about it? We've got a close, <laughs> jealous eye on him. <laughs> There's something about this boy. Um, 
And so he healed the man's hand and they plan if so if they healed if he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath, which is, you know, he's, he's in a bit of trouble. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to the man um, with the deformed hand, come and stand out in front of everyone. So the man came forward and Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. So he's setting them up, he's entrapping them, um, you know, straight away. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath um, or is it a day for doing evil? If this day, um, is this day to save life or to, to destroy it? And he looks around to each one of them and he says to the man, hold out your hand. So the man holds out his hand and it was restored. And at this, his enemies of Jesus were wild, wild with, with rage, rage <laughs> and begin to discuss with him what they're going to do with him. Like, and this is this is awesome. So Jesus is picking a fight. It's deliberate. Um, he picks it, you know, so it was going to, you know, cause trouble. Yeah, it was going to actually aggravate things further. Yeah, but this is an overflow of his grace again. Um, it's an overflow of his grace. He can't help it. Um, that it's the right thing to do on the Sabbath. Yeah, he sees a man there and he thinks, I'm going to yep. help him. I've got to help him. Um, yep. Even though it's going to cause um, trouble with his enemies and they're going to take advantage of it and it's, it's you know, he, he knows they're going to, they're going to, it's a mark against his name. Yep. But he can't help himself because he's dripping with grace. Yeah. It's the it. right thing to do. Um, how, how do we... <laughs> How do we reconcile for ourselves? Because we, in life, get caught in that place where it's the right thing to do, but it's going to cause us trouble. Mm. We we entrap ourselves sometimes because we know it's the right thing to do, but we know it's going to cause ourselves mm. a whole heap of trouble. And what should we do in those situations? What do we do in those situations? First thing, as you say, that comes back to what you were saying earlier about about wisdom in our Proverbs book. It's like having a predetermined decision. Mm. It says, if it's in my power to do good, I will. And let the cost come what may. I think that's the ethically right thing to do. Yeah. It's my ethics demand that if it's in my power to, to help someone, I'll do that. I'll take priority over that, over my own comfort. But that that needs to be a predetermined decision, which I, I suspect it was for Jesus too. Mm. You know, like you're saying, it's his compassion. Well, yeah, yeah, whether his compassion compelled him to do it, but nonetheless, he definitely, definitely was predetermined towards showing grace, dripping with grace. I like that term you've been using. I don't think we, I think if we have a predetermined decision and we're not going to go around healing everybody all the time, but that predetermined decision that says, if it's in my power to do something, I will mm. at, at my own expense. Yeah. I think that's, that's what it means to live the kingdom life. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think when Jesus is in that moment, he just makes those hard choices mm. and goes, you know what, I'm going to make that hard choice every time to do yep. right. That's every right, to time. do the right thing. Every yep. time. What is the wise right thing to do? Yeah. Yep, Jesus does that. So we're going to skip over a whole heap of stuff here, but we're just going to quickly skip over some some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Je- yeah, Jesus, long chapters, these ones. The, we haven't got time really to do long. everything in these chapters. So Je- Jesus chooses his 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. He, he he does that. So he, he does that. The crowd follows Jesus. He, he gets that. And the Beatitudes happen. So this is like the Sermon on the – this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, basically. Yep. Um, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. So sorrow is foretold. 
Um, and so I'm going to talk about that a little, little later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and I want to move straight down into, so love, uh, for enemies. Um, this is huge. This, yep. We could spend forever on this one. Um, because it, oh, I mean, you could spend weeks. You could uh, in this because yes, this is the heart of oh, the gospel. Jesus, this this is the gospel, right? This here. is it. Um, but verse thirty-five and thirty-six: Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unkind and wicked. You must be compassionate just like your father is compassionate. Well, red letters. Yes. All in red. <laughs> All in red. Oh, this is so controversial and upside down thinking. Uh, this is, uh, well, yeah. How, uh, how, how do we do this? How is, uh, how is okay, this? Question. How, 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 how? So in other words, how do we truly love our enemies? Like, yeah. Not just uh, how can we possibly do that when it goes against everything in our nature? It's upside down thinking, you say. Yeah, and how, how at this time, how yep. How are they able to do this yep. when, you know, Jesus is talking, you know, to his disciples who, you know, they were young mm-hmm. and so they've been, you know, brought up in a, in a, a certain way which th- they're thinking this is opposite almost opposite to everything they've been taught. Yes. He's got a crowd following him and that's opposite to everything they've ever heard. Yep. He's got the Pharisees following, you know, on the edge going, what's this boy teaching? This yep. is this is nothing that we've heard before. No, that's right. This is almost this is scandalous. Yes, it is. It's scandalous <laughs> to them. Um you know, how would they have taken this at the time? I think with exactly the same way you just did. I'm sure that they would have seen it as scandalous. Oh, that that sounds ridiculous. It would have just been so outside their frame of reference. Certainly, um, certainly for the religious crowds, because their worldview did not allow for this kind of uh, stooping down and engaging in 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 kindness towards your enemies it was just seen as an absolute no no. So he Jesus is turning the entire world's view up on its up on its head. So how do we do it? I think the point is, and I know this is my bent, but one of, one of the, like last week in my Bible college intensive, we were talking about atonement and, and different views of what, what Jesus actually accomplished for us on the cross. And, and one of those views is a view called Christus Victor. I talked about it with Jeff on the podcast that, that Christ defeated the power of sin on the cross. Mm. And it's in Christ that we are able to do this. So this is like Jesus preempting the way to live. He, he's setting up, you know what it looks like to live a, a true human being, a true representative of God? It's a, it's a person who loves their enemies and pers- does, the, does good to those who persecute them, lends to them without expecting to be repaid. That's what a true Christian human being looks like. And they will go, how do we do that? Well, let me show you. I'm going to defeat the power of sin. And when I do, if you're in me, you will be empowered to live that way. Mm. You can be a different kind of person. So when we are faced with, oh, it's so hard to live this way, Lord. It's so hard to love my enemy. I, you know, all that stuff that we read about in the Psalms earlier in this podcast. Yeah. 
we can do that not by forcing ourselves, but by tapping into all that Christ has accomplished for us. Yeah, it's supernatural. There's no possible way any human being can naturally love their enemies to the degree that Jesus is calling us to here. Mm. But through Christ, we can. Yeah. So verse 46 to 49, it says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Mm. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listen to my teaching, and then follow follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the the floodwaters rise and breaks against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey, it's like a person who builds the house right on the ground without a foundation. When the flood sweeps down against the house, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. And I look at that and I go, is that the answer? To that previous question, you know, Jesus trying to show his followers the way of, of, of a new life, a new wineskin, a new wine. Yep. You know, like, it's all in there. It's all there. Like, hey, I've got new wine for you. I've got yep. this new wineskin. Yep. Yes, the old wine was good, but I, it, it's, it's not going to work anymore. It's not going to cut it anymore. No, that's right. Here's the new wine. Here's the new wineskin. And you got to stop drinking this old stuff. Yep. Yeah, Start that's drinking really this new, cool way this to put new it. stuff. Yep, and it fits with what we just did in Proverbs. This is the, this whole analogy of building a house on the solid rock. It's it's a similar metaphor to what we just read about the user manual in Proverbs. It's like if you do my life the way I do, like if you keep my calling. Sorry, if you if you listen to my words and follow my teaching, this will result. Mm. But if you listen to my words and don't follow my teaching, your house is going to come crashing down. There's not nothing overly supernatural about this. This is just what Jesus is saying about choosing to live by his standards, his proverbs, if you like. His mm. proverbs are things like love your enemies and do good yeah. to those who persecute you and, uh, you know, put others before yourself and all that. That's his proverbs for life. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I think the the thing is we need to remember is that in and of ourselves, we can't do that. That's the key point. Otherwise we otherwise we can fall into the trap of just thinking, if I just keep being good enough, I'll get there. No, Jesus would say, this is the standard, but I've come to fulfill the law because you can't fulfill that standard. But now in me, by my grace, you you will be able to you fulfill You will be that. able to. That's the key. Yeah. We can't lose sight of that. It only We can only ever live up to this standard because we're in Christ. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So the provision for Luke 6 is provision of food. Protection, healing, love, acceptance, and wisdom uh, is in, in Luke 6. Now, there is going to be a few more, I think, in there. Um, but I think with the the the, um, the, the choosing of the disciples, mm-hmm. there could be a, a few uh, around identity. Um, As maybe, in God provided. Um, yeah. In the choosing of... Um, the apostles, I didn't, uh, I couldn't quite work out what the provision in in that one is. So they could, you could pick a few bits of provision of um, of identity potentially in there of of a provision of cause, like a mm-hmm. running a hey, I, I'm, I've got this for you. Yeah, you. Yep. Yeah, of, of maybe a future provision of future or 
it, it might not even be personal. So God choosing his, Jesus choosing his apostles, his disciples who would follow him is actually an act of provision for future, for the church. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, this was part of how he was going to establish his church was through the foundation of the holy apostles and prophets. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in Luke 13 as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, I've got a question in there okay, for sure. you. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I think that's there. Okay, we're going to go to um, Luke eight. chapter 8 now. Okay, Luke chapter 8. We've got a parable of the farmer scattering seed. Uh, if we've all, most of us have probably heard That's this. That's a pretty common, well known parable, isn't it? Parable. Um, you know, four types of um, soil that mm-hmm. the seed goes into. Um, you know, there's one that's fallen onto the rocks, on one into, um, you know, the the path, and the the birds have eaten it, and the rocks can't get enough water and can't grow. One into the thorns, and it's all been sort of grown, and then it's been eaten away, and then one into good soil. And so that's um, you know, that's an, a great analogy on hey, you know, where are you planting yourself? Yeah, yep. You know. Um, and what then, kind of soil are you? What sort of soil uh, mm-hmm. are you? And yeah. You know, and then there's fruits out of that as well. Um, and I've heard that being taken totally the wrong way. <laughs> That's, you know. Yeah, a little bit of history and understanding helps the people to put that uh, proverb, that parable in the right context. Otherwise, it can people can make it say whatever they want it to say. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but the, the one I really want to focus on to start with is verses um, through 16 to 18, mm-hmm. um, which is the parable of the lamb. I've got questions on this one. Sure. Okay, it says, no one lights a lamp and then covers it up with a box. So we've probably heard the other parable of the, the lamp, which is, um, you know, light on a hill. Yep, you know, put a, hill. Yep. You know, put a light on the hill and, you know, you don't cover the lamp and all yep. that sort of stuff. So we probably have that picture. Sit mm-hmm. on a hill and, you know, you don't put the light and cover the light, you know. So we've probably put that one, but this one's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enters the house. For all of its secrets will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought into the light and made known to all. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teachings more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. What does this parable mean? (laughs) And uh, as is the case often with the parables, I don't retain all the information because there's so much much history and understanding that, that they take for granted in context that we don't. Yes. Okay. So I can have a stab. I'm going to do something in a moment. I'm just going to just get ChatGPT to show us and prompt me. We'll see how well it works. Because you're absolutely right in this. Jesus, even though this looks like it's got similarities between the the lamp being hidden and not being hidden, it seems like he's making an entirely different point. It's a different point it's here. It's not related. This seems to be more around related to what are our what are what are his people doing with his teaching. Mm-hmm. Is that what you understand it to be? Yeah, I think so. I think it's more about what what are they doing? Where 
what are they doing with his teaching? Yep. And then how are they applying that to their lives? Yep. Or are they just are they along for the ride? Yep. And then just it's more of it's more about the culture than 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 actually than yep. actually Do, being changed. Do, yeah, actually doing and applying it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is just the new trendy thing to do. That's right, yes. And yep. so I don't have to go to the temple anymore. I'm with Jesus. I can do what I want. Yeah. I can do what I want. Yeah. And this is this is cool. And so we'll just do that and hey, I'm ticking all the boxes. Um and Jesus is like, well, hang on a second. No, this is not this is not just about ticking boxes. No, it's not. Okay, I'm gonna see what Chat GPT will tell me. Let's see. Loading up now. The specific teaching section the specific section emphasizes the importance of hearing and responding to the word of God. Here is an interpretation at an undergraduate level. It's learning because I've told I've pre pre-programmed it to often say that. <clears throat> the good soil. Uh, sorry, we've done that bit. Luke 16 and 17. The importance of listening. These verses use the metaphor of a lamp on a stand illustrating that nothing is hidden that won't be disclosed. This suggests that the truth of God's word will eventually be revealed to all. It encourages believers to listen carefully and to op- be open to God's truth as how one re- hears and reacts to the word will impact their understanding of further truths. This verse, verse 18, warns that whoever does not have even what they think they have. What verse was it, 16 and 17? Uh, yeah, 16 and 17 is the parable. Okay. And then Jesus gives the, the warning. So pay attention. Verse, I'm going to go a bit here. deeper. Verses so 16 to 18, then, is it? Yep. Let me go a bit deeper because that's not a very good GPT slacking off this afternoon. Um, let's delve de- a little deeper. The, ver- the lamp is a metaphor about visibility and revelation. A lamp is meant to illuminate, not be hidden. In the context of the gospel, it suggests that the teachings of Jesus and the truths of the kingdom are not meant to be kept secret or private, but be shared openly. Okay, there's a bit of a link there because Mm. that's that share thing. It's going to come out. This can be seen as a call to discipleship, encouraging other believers to live their faith visibly and share the gospel with others. The lamp could represent the message of Jesus, the gospel, or, or even a believer. Verse 17, nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed. This verse can be interpreted as an assurance that all truth, especially spiritual truth, will eventually come to light. It underscores the inevitability of the revelation of true spiritual states and intentions. In a broader theological sense, it can also be seen as a reference to the final judgment. Verse 18, be careful how you listen. This is a caution about the manner in which one hears and responds to the word. It emphasizes the responsibility that comes with hearing the gospel. The phrase for whoever has to more shall be given implies that those who truly embrace and understand God's word will receive even greater insight and understanding. I'm obviously not feeling like I'm getting a lot of it. In, this. <laughs> in contrast, whoever does not have will have what they have taken away, suggests that a superficial or insincere engagement with the gospel can lead to a loss or even the basic understanding one might have. So these verses taken together emphasize the importance of not just hearing the word, but also understanding, internalizing, and acting upon it. They remind believers that the truths of the gospel are to be shared, that there is a privilege and a responsibility in receiving God's word. The passage calls for a proactive and visible faith that influences the life and the li- one's life and the lives of others. Okay, I can get the gist of that. Mm. Um, I still suspect there's more depth there than even what I'm getting out of that. What, what I would recommend our listeners do if they want to find out something like this 
is um, you can just do this online with bible.com or whatever is just find a few commentaries and just say, find, find me a variety of biblical commentaries on this passage and then read fit through a few and listen to some scholars. Now what JPT is doing is collecting up what a few have said yeah. and trying to interpret themselves, but read a few because I'm not, I'm, I get the gist of that, but I get the, I also think there's more in it. So I'm going to see what you say, because I think there's more in that parable than what I just read out of GPT then. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, that all the secrets will be eventually brought into the open. So I think it's more about the, you know, the, and everything that is um, concealed will be brought into the light and be made known to all. So it's that, that revelation, there's revelation that will, will come forth. I think that's, yeah, yes. yeah, I think, you know, that, you know, when, when that lamp is lit, you know, that, you know, when Christ is revealed to us yep. that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just a, oh, well, we're, we know Christ now and that's now, it. Now we can do what we want and live like with our lamp under a bed. Yeah. That's definitely not what it's saying. It's it's definitely seems to be t- calling us to live a, um, live our life publicly. Yeah. Live yeah. our faith publicly. That's right. Yeah. And so I think it, it, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there's more to it. I don't think it's just like that, the other yes, one about I, the I don't think the it lamp. is related to the other one. I think it, there's more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, I think where it talks about, you know, the for all, all that is secret will be eventually brought mm. into the open. I think there's more there. I don't think it's talking about our secrets. No. I don't think it's talking about No, I don't think it's talking about that. I think it's secrets. talking about the gospel. I think, I think it's, it's talking about all the, yeah. Yeah, the gospels and, yeah. and how – that that bigger story we're a part of yeah. is is unfolding what's, what's being revealed in our lives. Yeah, I suspect that's more what's going on there. But I'll be the first to say, you know, there's probably some uh, meaning that makes sense to them in context that's still is still hidden from us to some degree. That's yep. part of the problem with reading the parables is we need to put ourselves back in the first century as best as we can. Mm. Uh, the, like you know, the parable parable of the sower immediately before when I went to Nazareth and walked it through the Nazareth Experience Village and they show how they build on the side of the, the hill and all that sort of stuff. And you see footpaths and you see good soil and you see rocky places and you see thorns and how they do it. And you go, oh, that's, that made perfect sense. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. It would have made perfect sense to his hearers in their first century context. Same goes for this parable. We are trying to interpret a, 20, a first century parable through a 21st century lens. And we can't do that without some um, some work. Yeah. 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 Great. Let's move on to verse 24 to 25. Now, again, oh, yeah, a, yeah. another picture I would love to be. Oh, yes. Now, I don't want to be on the boat. Let's just put it that way. You I want to be. I just want you'd, to be the camera you'd be, angle. <laughs> you'd be watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be able to watch it. Yeah. Um, because I, I do feel for the disciples a little bit. Oh, here so do I. Because you Come know, on, Jesus, this is a bit unrealistic, isn't it? You know, they're they're trying they're trying to do the right thing. You know, they're they're in a storm. Jesus gets on a boat and falls asleep. Yeah. Right. Which is what my wife says. He always <laughs> took a pillow. I love that Jesus took a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> he get, he gets on the boat and he goes. You know what? This will be fun. Yep. Let's have, a, let's have a snooze. I'll have a sleep and see how they handle this. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> this is really a test for the disciples. It is indeed. Now, he's only just called them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, they're young. Yep. And he's he's putting them to the test. Yep. Now, they've seen a few things. Yeah. They've seen a few. They've they haven't seen, seen the Sea of Galilee calmed, though. <laughs> no. They're, they're, and, but they've been on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. They're, they're, so they're they, know it doesn't, it. they know that it gets whipped up pretty quick. Yep. And so, but 
it must be ripped up pretty bad if oh, they yeah. think if they're hardened about fishermen to die. Are about to die. Yep, that's so right. they think they're about to die. That they think this is it. Now it it's got it gets to the point where they go, we should wake Jesus to let him know he's about to die. <laughs> right, that's great. Right? So the, they've done everything. Because yep. they're, they're the fishermen, right? They're the fishermen, right? yeah. He's just he, the rabbi. He's, he's the rabbi. <laughs> like, they're going, okay. How are we going to explain this one to Jesus? The boat's going let's down. Fix, let's fix this. We'll get to the shore before he, we wake he's Jesus He's useless up. in this situation, so don't wake him up because he'll just panic Yeah. because he's a <laughs> rabbi and he's no use to us. So don't wake him because it's all hands on deck, Otherwise, right? Yeah, right. otherwise someone's going to have to compa- keep ch- – I've never thought about it like that before. I love the way you think, Janice. So don't wake him yep. because that's just another problem We're to, to handle. We're going to strap him down because right? he's going to be freaking out. Exactly right. <laughs> so they get to the end of the tale. There's nothing else to do yeah. except we've got to tell him we're about to die. Yep. Right? That's it. We're, we're all about nice. to die. So let's wake him up, tell him it's all over. Jesus, wake up. We're about to die. <laughs> Nothing you can do. So the disciples Quick went. ministry. Yes. So the 20, 24 to 25. So another word, Jesus, wake up, pray for us. This is it. Uh, the, disease, the disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the, the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he was given, who, when he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, did Jesus rebuke the disciples because they did not have faith? that they would be okay, or was it because of their lack of understanding of who they had with them is the first part of the question. I think that's a really good question, and my first answer is the second one. I think they were unaware of who was in the boat with them. Yep. Well, they, they didn't fully grasp who he was. Yeah, and that the, they should have been able to, that he would be able to get them out of any trouble. Yes, yes, basically. that's right. Yep. You know, and so they could have woken him up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, half I, an hour I, earlier. I often wonder if Jesus was sitting there with like laying, laying there on, <laughs> Coming, on the pillow. Anytime now. <laughs> just winking everyone. Open his eye every now and then just to go, still not ready for me yet. I'll just pretend I'm asleep a bit longer. <laughs> Surely they're going to wake me anytime now. Anytime now they're going to call for me. <laughs> how much more, How much worse do I have to make this storm? <laughs> that's right, exactly. <laughs> Before they wake me. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I often think. <laughs> or is it the enemy going, if I take him out now, maybe I win, you know? Yeah, oh, there's, there's a spir- this is a spiritual storm. There's, there's a component of that there, definitely, that... This is a supernatural storm. I think most scholars have believed that throughout time. But but Jesus is cool, calm, and collected yeah. in the middle of it all. And the second question um, is um, in the verse, were the disciples terrified of Jesus? Or were they terrified because um, they were terrified and amazed? Who is this man? They were asking each other, um, you know, were they terrified of Jesus? Uh, I I think yes. I think they. This is back to that fear conversation mm. we had. I I think that this we we kind of don't grasp fully the significance of this miracle. It sounds pretty powerful to us. Oh yeah, it's cool. Jesus 
calm the storm. Um, but to them, there's a deeply spiritual component to them mm. because, um, you know, like they've grown up learning about Baal, the god of the storm. They, so they've learned up that uh, they understood storms to be spiritual. Mm. Um, and so, and there's a Psalm, Psalm 29, I think it is too, which talks about God in the thunderstorm. So they're deeply entrenched into to it. And you put yourself in a first century context where you don't understand the, the movement of le- electrons through the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff. You can understand why these things seem to be spiritual. And so when we put ourselves in that limited context, the calming of a storm is an even greater revelation of someone's power. That's why they're going, who the heck is this? Yeah. Is this a God? Like they're, they're trying to wrestle with this. Who is in our boat? Who, who is really in this boat? We just thought <laughs> the guy, who we just wanted to keep him asleep so he wouldn't get freaked out. You know, so there's this absolute fear and terror. And I think there is a sense of what have we got ourselves into here? Yeah. What is going on? And, it, and all the implications of that. They'd seen healing. Yes. They'd seen him cast out spirits. Um, He'd taken on the, the Pharisees. Yep. So they've, they've seen him do some... Some pretty out there stuff already. Yes, yeah, but this and is you, this is next mesh, level. If you mesh the timeline together, they've seen water into wine as well. If you know, yeah. so even John's yeah, yeah. gospel. So yep. they've seen some things, definitely. But this is next level. This is this is another level again. Yeah, this is controlling yeah. wind and wave. Yeah. This is yeah, and o- and only a god, yes, had control over the storms. Yeah, so this isn't trickery. This is this <laughs> is more than just some cheap conjurer's trick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yes. so that's what they're coming at, mate. That's what they're seeing here is this deep, deep fear and terror. They're amazed. What are we going to do? This yeah. is serious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jesus wanted them to see that. That was part of him revealing himself to them. Yeah. Himself to them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Verses 36 and 37. Then those who had seen what had happened. Oh, sorry. I should give what's you some the, context. What's the context. Sorry. Give you the context. I got all excited there. Um, without copying stuff, uh, where are we? Jesus heals uh, a demon possessed man. Oh, this so, is the Gresham yes, story. So, so this is oh, this is awesome. Crossed, so immediately so, following this, he's crossed the lake. So he's crossed the lake. Uh, he's landed. There's yep. a man. He's possessed. He has a legion of demons. Yep. Um, oh, man, again, this is again. I don't want to be there. I want to be in the camera uh, <laughs> watching. Um, and uh, they um, even just Jesus. The, the shock that the disciples must have been in of they've just watched this incident happen. So they're in shock. Yeah. They get off the boat. There's a demon-possessed man. And now Jesus is in negotiation with a legion of demons. <laughs> right? And the and the conversation basically goes, look, don't send us down to the pit, yeah, the bottomless pit. Send us into those pigs on the hill over there. Right? And Jesus goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, like that was the negotiation. That was it. All right. Uh, okay. And so they do. They go in and then the herd of pigs runs off the cliff. Yep. And the herdsmen see this and they go, we're out of here. Yep. Run into town and the, the guy that's possessed is now who had been naked for yep. a very long time, been yep. very ill yep. and not well for a very long time, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed. clothed and in his right mind. In right mind. Yep. The people are so freaked out. So this is where I should probably now read. Um, So those who had seen what had happened told the others of how the demon-possessed man uh, had been healed and all the people of the region um, 
of, and I'm not going to say this, Gerasenes uh, had begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear had swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. How does fear stop our growth in Jesus Ooh, when we have seen, uh, when we have been fearful and asked Jesus to get in the boat and leave us? Whoa. How do we ask him to come back and get in the boat and get back in with us now in our lives ah, when we have when sort of pushed him, pushed away, him away, when we've been fearful? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is that. Jesus honoured their request to leave, but the next time Jesus comes back here, all the crowd come out to meet him. Mm. So even though their fear had kept them away, the testimony of this man over time had so changed it that next time around they're open to him. So I wonder if that just shows the faithfulness of Jesus, that he knows that we're not always ready for everything. Yeah, He knows that we, we we might still be bound in fear in certain areas of our life when we say, oh, Jesus, I'm not open to you deal, dealing with that part of my life. Get back in the boat, head back over the other side where you're away from me. Um, that Jesus sees a bigger picture. Yeah. And so don't feel like you've missed out because you've made some poor choices or or haven't honoured uh, what you know to be the right way to live. I think there's it's, it doesn't matter how many steps away you've taken. It's only ever one step back. So I would say, don't be discouraged. Mm. Just recognize if you've come to your senses and go, I should have, I shouldn't have pushed Jesus away. I should have got in the boat with him. I, I, I should have asked him to stay and come and spend time with us. You, it's not too late for that. Yeah. Invite him back. Invite him back. It's yeah. never too late. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, we've got a big jump now in, in verses because so much so is many so long. In these okay. Jump. So there's another dripping of Jesus's grace from his cloak, literally where a woman yep. reaches out and he's on his way to, um, to heal, to heal, heal again, to, and, to, to heal, um, Jairus's daughter. Yep. And as he's walking, uh, a, a lady who, uh, needed healing, uh, she'd been bleeding for years, reaches out and touches his cloak, literally. Yep. And instantly he knows he's someone's touched yep. him. And Peter says, oh, come on, Jesus. There's, there's that, crowds there's everywhere. There's people everywhere. Are you kidding me? Yep. And he goes, no, no, no. I know. Yep. I know. I know. Power went out from me. Power went out from me and someone was healed. And she, she, she says, yes, I've been healed. It was me. It was me. And he says, yep. My daughter, yeah, you know, sorry, uh, you've been you've been healed. Your faith has uh, made your, you your whole. faith. Yep, yep. Uh, which is beautiful. I yeah, just, it's beautiful. yeah, oh, go in peace. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in this peace. Is, this oh, particular so story beautiful. is one of the most highlight times when you go to Israel. Oh. There's a, that recent site of the church at Magdala that they've just discovered in the last fifteen years. Um, where Mary came from, and uh, they found some marketplace. And you go into this beautiful Catholic church, and down in the crypt on the first century marketplace floor is a beautiful mural um, that shows a picture of a woman reaching through all these feet. All you see is a hand reaching through these feet and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Oh, and wow. it's well, we've got this picture. We've got a print of this above our bed, and um, this is one of the most profound moments. When I went back there, and when I went there in twenty eighteen. With a, a crew, we, I walked down there and there was probably half a dozen of our team weeping in 
in the crypt at the bottom of that church seeing that scene because of this story. One of the mm. guys was reading it and the ladies were crying and he was emotional. Just the dripping of grace. It's yeah. like you said, it's like she didn't, he didn't do anything. No. Just, she, it, was, it was her faith. Yeah. It's just, it couldn't help but ooze out of him. It was response oozing out of him. To her, yep. to her faith. Yeah. yeah. So the, the verse, so he's walking to go and heal. This happens. The messenger comes and says, don't bother. She's dead. She's dead. And Jesus goes, no, 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 we're going. Yep. He gets there. He only takes a couple of his disciples up and the mother and father into the room. Yep. And this happens in verse twenty, in verse 53. Um, oh, I think I need to read more. Um, 52. Let's go to 52. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But Jesus says, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she was dead. This verse puzzles me. Puzzles me. The crowd laughed. They were weeping and mourning and wailing moments before. Yep. He makes a statement that she's sleeping. And they start laughing. And they're laughing at him. Yep. You want simplest explanation? Yes. Professional mourners. Okay. They were there putting a show on. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they professional mourners, which is a very common thing in the first century. Yeah, yes, because otherwise it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no. So these are people who are paid to do their thing, and there's even been some some thought that they would show up at a dead person's house and go through the mourning process, um, expecting to be paid, a bit like people who wash your window and then expect to be paid afterwards. Okay. So they were like freeloading. Yeah. So if that's the case. Like, you know, then you kind of feel obligated to pay them. I mean, it's the opposite of grieving, isn't it? It's like totally. it's like monopolizing someone's lowest moment for your own gain. Yeah, they're putting on a show. Yeah, they're yeah. putting on a show. So that's the common consensus around that. Yep. Otherwise, that, it doesn't make any sense. The good news is Jesus still shows up. Yeah, he still says, comes. My child, get up. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, she is dead. They're right. But but in Jesus' mind, it's so temporary that yeah. she's actually only asleep. Yep. So the provision of healing, deliverance. Uh, revelation, guidance, protection, hope, and restoration. Beautiful. Restoration. I love that one. That's what the man, the, yeah, the man, uh, the Gadarene demoniac experienced for restoration. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. All right, we're nearly there. We've got two to go. Two hey? to go. Luke chapter 12. 12. Okay, Luke chapter 12. So there was a whole heap that we've missed. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Like Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. He's done that twice now. Luke 11, oh, there's teaching on prayer. We're landing in Luke 12, and there's a warning against hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, we're getting into the heavy stuff. Like, it is, it's heavy. Let's just put it that way. Um Oh, where to start? Where to start? I I don't. Uh, ah, it's, getting, ah, it's so long. It's getting late in the day, and there's so much content in here. Where are you going to go? Look, we're going to skip over some stuff because of I want to get some are. good stuff. Yep. Uh, let's jump to verse 21. It says, 
Okay, so we're we're talking about the parable of the rich fool. Oh yes, who stored everything up. Oh, he stored everything up. He said, "I take this and I'll take that." Yep. Yep. Teacher, please tell my brothers to divide our father's estate for me. Jesus replies, "Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such uh, as that things such as that?" I love that. It was almost like. Can you be Moses for us? Yes. Can you can you discern? Can, can you, you discern? figure it out? Can yep. you just be this for us? We don't want you to be the savior of the world. <laughs> we just want you to be Moses. We just want you to be a new Moses who tells who who solves our disputes for us. Yes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we want it, we want it, that old wineskin back. Can yeah, you just bring that great you know, thought. this new wineskin thing that you get going on? Can we just go back to the old again? <laughs> you know. And Jesus is like, uh, guard against every kind of greed. That's the problem that was the problem was <laughs> Yes, I mean Jesus into just adjustment. That's that you know the just inheritance. He would want that. The problem was not that. The problem was the greed. Yep. And yep. so he he goes so on. He tells them a story. Yep. So he gives them the story. A man had a fertile farm, and he, he goes on talk about builds crops, bigger barns, bigger and, barns. Yep. Sits then, back and goes, "I got it all now. I got it all. I don't have to worry about anything." Yep. And then he loses his life. Yep. And he goes, "Look, you did all that, but you gained nothing." Yep. And. It says, yes, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth but but not have a rich relationship Mm. with God. And here it's the relationship with God that is first. Now, you may have, you know, all other things, um, but they're all secondary. Yes. They may, you know, they may come, they may go, but the relationship with God is always the focus. And... You know, that's the the thing I found here that really stood out is that it it was the relationship that is the primary piece. You know, you might be, you know, you know, come from a an average Joe family, and you might always be the average Joe family, and that's not an issue because your relationship with God is your primary focus. Yeah. You might come from a really wealthy family yep. and you might have a wealthy family and you might, you know, be able to provide an, a mm. really wealthy inheritance to your family, mm. you know, down the line. But your relationship with God is what your focus is. That's right. And that's what you want to be able to pass on to your generation yeah, of thought. children. It's it's that relationship of Christ first. So what money does is it shows up what's in our heart. Yeah. It isn't the the object of this teaching because mm. Jesus is clear. He's, he's using this parable to rebuke greed, to try to show the problem with greed. You can have a completely impoverished person who is deeply affected by greed. Yeah. People who, a person has no money and they can be greedy. A person who has lots of money can be greedy. A person with just enough to get by can be greedy. And all three of those, you can also have a person who has nothing, who has not a drop of greed. Yeah. And a person who has an abundance who is not greedy. So the issue is not the amount of money or lack thereof. The issue is the heart towards it, mm. which determines, um, and, and even what Jesus is saying is rich, being rich towards God. Really, he's, he's about to draw, he's, he's sandwiching that comment in between two teachings about money. So he's about to explain that. He's explaining that that money is showing up what's in your heart. Your attitude towards it will actually show your attitude towards God. Yeah. That's the point. If you want to be rich towards God, it means whether you've got a little or a bit. Or a lot. Or a lot. Yep. How, how you treat money and your attitude towards it will actually determine and show you what your attitude towards God is, is what he's yeah. trying to say. Yep. Um, because yeah, the next teaching is, again, about money and possessions. Mm. Um, and I think uh, in that part, 
it's talking about uh, you know the clothing you know on your body and um, it, I think it's trusting that God will provide. It's trusting about God will provide, and that's so twenty five verses twenty five and twenty six. Uh, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if a worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what use? Uh, what uh, what's the use of worrying over the bigger things? So worry worries it's crippling. Uh, it cripples our world. It steals from us. It steals our joy. Um, it won't add a single moment to our lives. Um, how do we apply this to our lives so we no longer worry? Because worry will only lead us to more worry <laughs> and or we'll worry about not worrying. Yes, that's like, right. Yeah. Like it, it, it's sort of like that. It's almost spiral, like a self-perpetual. You know? So how do we apply this to our lives that we, you know, we won't worry because worry yeah, sure. is one of those things that, it, you know, it, it can entrap us. It's like we, if we worry about just, it can. It's not always about the big things. It can be just the it little things. It can be things. little things that take us out, can't it? Yeah. Yes, that's right. It can be like you know, worrying about Elijah's health and his knee and all that. You know, little yeah. things that can, you know, little. You know, a little relative to, you know, life and death situations and things like that. It, 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 at different levels of life, things can take us out. Yeah. How do so phrase the question again? How do we not? How do we avoid worry? It's more than that. I yeah, think. Yeah. How do we saying. apply this verse to our lives if we are worriers? I see. So yeah, if okay. we're a worrier. So yeah. for me, one of the things I've tried to do in life um, is, you know, if if I find I'm starting to worry, yep, I'll I'll make it stupid. So if I'm starting okay. to worry about a, a little thing, you'll I'll, make it even more stupid I'll and insignificant. Just amplify it right. so yep. it gets to a yep. stupid level okay. where I just go, "That's so stupid. Why, Why am, am I, I worried worrying? about that?" Yep. Okay. You know, so you know, you just amplify it to the point where you go, "That's just yeah. so stupid. Yeah, sure. well, that is so not worth worrying yep. about." Why am I worried about okay. that? That's just, you know, what God's got this. Why yeah, am I, I, so you've gone I back to God. About this. Yeah. Okay. So you've gone. So I suspect what you're technically doing is you're comparing the insignificance of the thing you're worried about to the greatness of God Yeah, in in a roundabout way. You're actually telling yourself, look, this isn't really that big a deal. Yeah. In comparison to, well, that's what Paul says in Philippians 4. I consider these lightened, the, these troubles that I'm facing lightened momentary in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. So he, I guess he's limiting them. He's putting them in their place mm. and then saying, look, God's bigger than this. So yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. It's not my first natural inclination of the answer, my, because Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom and his under and 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 his uh, was it say in this version? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and He will give you everything you need." So I think of it as, okay, I'm going to take my mind off the problem, and I'm going to focus it on the greatness of God. And as I do, as I um, expand Him in my mindset, those things will seem insignificant. Um, there's an old song, you know, cut, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things mm. of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's how I've tended to do it. I think what you're describing is actually the same thing, just via a different channel. Because yeah. in the end, I'll go, oh, the greatness of God. Then I'll actually go, well, actually, the problem isn't that big deal. But you're doing the same thing by by going, look, let's look at this problem in reality. What's What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, and I think... That's not a bad thing to do, Shannon. I'd say do that. Um, Jonathan Kelly talks about this. You know, if you go to the worst case scenario and you process what happens in the worst case scenario, you've got, you're never going to be frightened. 
Yeah. Okay, so I lose my house or, you know, or, you know, something horrible happens or I lose my life even, you know. Mm. But in the end, I've been there. You know, if you're facing a, a, a terminal illness situation, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is I lose my life. Yeah. Now, I don't want to be flippant about that. But ultimately, faith says, well, if I lose my life to, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I can get that revelation on the inside. So worst case scenario, God's still going to be there. Yeah. And I think it's not that in most cases we don't go to worst case scenario, but I think it's it's not a bad way to live our life because it causes us to go to, to maximize God and minimize the problem. Mm. We just don't want worries to be worried, right? Yeah, because like, if you're a worrier and you're going, oh, I'm not worrying about anything, I should be worried about. I that. should be worried about it. <laughs> it's that's like, right. Don't that's, worry. That's, no, that's it. That's just don't worry. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Got to come to that place where you go. The bigness of God will get me through no matter what I face. Yes. Which is yes. back to our whole provision thing earlier exactly in right. the podcast. Yes. Is that even in hard times, he will provide a way out. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. Now, verses, I've got here verses 49. We're going to jump down to 49. Uh, Jesus causes division. Oh, there's some That's questions here. There, yeah. Whoa. Okay. So v- verses 49 to 53. I have come to set the world on fire. Oh, we're going deep. And I wish, uh, I wish if there was already, I wish it were already burning. I have a trouble. Uh, I, I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against me. Or two in favor of me and three against me. Fathers will be divided against sons and sons against fathers. Mothers against daughters and daughters against mothers. Mothers Mothers-in-law against daughters-in-law. Well, that's sometimes the way it is, isn't it? And daughters-in-law are against mother-in-law. I mean, that part, you know, there's prophecy in that sometimes for people. Uh, Hopefully that's not your case if you're listening uh, or watching. Uh, What's going on here? Has Jesus gone uh, too hard too soon for the disciples? Uh, What does all this mean? So I think he's using, um, uh, what's the parabolic language? He's using exaggerative language. So I think what he's, he's, making a sociological claim about what's going to happen as opposed to some kind of prophetic claim. So when he says, I've come to set the world on fire, I think I think scholars would say he, he's more saying, he's stating the effects of what's going to happen through his coming. Yeah, because he's talking to the disciples at yes, this point. Yes, that's right. He's talking yeah. to his disciples, yeah. So he's saying the end result, the result of me coming into the world and dying is going to be that there are going to be people who are for me and there are people who are against me. And mm. that's going to happen even within a family. Yeah. So it's not that he is intentionally trying to bring division as much as his death, his life, death and resurrection will cause division because some will, uh, some will follow the, the narrow path and some won't. Yeah. Okay. I think that's more the length, the context of what he's saying here. He's prepping his disciples to say, Hey guys, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. You're going to have family turn against you. And I think in the next part we will, I'll go into, they just don't get it. So yeah, they just, don't get it. No, they, they don't get just it. Just don't get it. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, so the provision here uh, for Luke twelve is uh, wisdom, discernment, peace. Ironically, uh, encouragement, knowledge, and guidance. Mm, they're all in there. Yep. They're all in there. 
Um, and I think the big one in, in this one is guidance. There is a lot of guidance uh, in this one. Uh, so look for that. Yeah, okay. Um, yep. For that provision. Good. You must have spent a lot of hours studying, Shannon. This is some, you've got some really great stuff in here. So it was good. Yep, it's good. We've got one to go. Luke 13. Luke 13, here we go. Luke 13. Home stretch. We're almost there. Oh, if you have, if you've been sitting down this whole time, you should have been stretching your legs. You hit the pause <laughs> button. It's not our fault if you can't feel your legs. You got pins and needles. <laughs> okay, verses six to eight. Then Jesus told the story: a man who uh, planted a fig tree oh, in yes. his garden had come again and again to see if there were any fruit on it, but he always was disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener. I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. What does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> See, as a young Christian, I understood this as fruit of being salvations. Right. Right. And yep. if there's no salvations in my life, bang, I'm out of the kingdom, getting cut down, you're gone, thanks for coming. Like, man, this like... It was sort of a hellfire oh, and brimstone hell, kind hell of picture. Hellfire brimstone, yeah, exactly, like, yeah. oh my goodness, I'm going to die. Um, Man, like it was, that was sort of what was taught. I'm like, yeah. oh man, this is so heavy. Um, but some of this here, I'm like taking up going, Hey, who's the gardener here? Is Jesus the gardener? Like, is Jesus the gardener? You asking me? Oh, um, that's uh, going to be a question in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I think it is. I think the first, first thing to do with something like this is look at context around it. Okay. So if we go back, we didn't read it, but go back to the previous chapter. He's just telling the story about how Pilate, had kind of killed some Galileans yeah. in a rebuke in a, in a, um, basically what had happened is there was an uprising, a story, I think it's Josephus tells us there was an uprising in the temple. And so Pilate, um, sent in the soldiers to try to quell the uprising. There were some zealots in amongst it. And then, um, after he killed them and it was a mass slaughter actually. And then he took the blood from, he took their blood and mingled it with his pagan sacrifices. So that's, I think they pieced that from what happened with, um, with, um, his, uh, Josephus telling us that story as a historian. So there's a sense in which um, the Jews are uprising against Rome. Mm. Okay. Um, and then there's, he talks us about a story about a, t- a tower falling down and killing them. And, and there was this, he, he's commenting on this zealotry, this sense of we need victory from Rome. We, we need freedom from Rome. Now, fig tree in scripture is always, I, I would say always, I can't think of an exception, is is always an, an an analogy for for Israel, for the state of Israel, yeah. the nation of Israel. I think even Jews have it on you know on the Israel Antiquities Authority design today and everything. But but in that stage, so when he's telling this parable, he's telling this parable about Israel. So let's just look at it quickly. A man planted a fig tree in his garden. So whether that's Jesus or the the Lord, but he's I'd say it's you know when I say the Lord, you know whether it's the Father's planting Israel in a garden, and he's keeps coming back to it again and again and again, trying to get 
produce fruit. That's the story of the Old Testament. The prophets mm. constantly coming back, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. He was always disappointed. Finally, he says to the gardener, I've waited three years. How long has Jesus been ministering? Three years. Three years. I've been waiting three years. haven't seen a single fig yet. In other words, there's no fruitfulness from this. I hear not only have they been disappointed, now they've got me walking around and they're still not producing fruit. Jesus, you know, cut it down. And it's just, it's just taking up space. And the gardener is saying, just give it another chance. Just give it another chance. I'll give it attention and see if we get figs next year. If not, then you can cut it down. Mm. Now, I used to read this and think, oh, that's a good thing. It implies that they're going to get fruit next year. That's how it reads. It's like, oh, keep, keep going. But it doesn't say that. No. It's more It's more a picture of God's complete compassion, ongoing compassion and grace. All day long I held out my hand to a stubborn and obstinate people, but they would not believe. Mm. So it's a picture of God's always extending a new graceful hand. But it's an open invitation in that sense. It's an open invitation yeah, to yeah. the Jews to say, are you going to produce fruit or not? Yep. Now, sadly, we know that they as a nation didn't produce fruit mm. and it was taken away from them. Jesus is going to take it away and give it to another who will produce its fruit, the church. So this is actually a parable rebuking Israel for its failure to accept its Messiah. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Is that anything like what you expected me to say? <laughs> yeah. I was looking at going, wow, this is complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, that's a good example of why you need to have some context or you look at that one and go, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Okay, this next one, oh, Jesus, up for another argument. Okay. So verses 10 to 17. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath again. Yep. Picking an argument. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. That's a long time. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said uh, to her, woman, uh, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the rulers of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and on the Sabbath and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey uh, from the manger and lead it away to where the water is, uh, to to water it? Um, You ought not, uh, sorry, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, uh, whose Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosened from the bounds? Uh, on the Sabbath day, as he said those things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. I love that. Oh, man, this. <laughs> Whoa. They were so trapped in oh. the, the, the trapped in the letter of the law, they missed the spirit of the law completely. What was the trap? that Jesus was setting here for the Pharisees because like, there's multi-tiers here. Like there's multiple traps, I think, um, because there's, there's this tiny, like he's trapped them with this little bit of work. Like if you want to technically, if you're fulfilling 
the Sabbath law of no work, like you wouldn't be doing anything. Untying your ox, ox or donkey is technically, is technically a, work. Yeah, exactly. You and know, the thing was, they had gotten around that by having rules that enabled them to untie an ox and because they weren't allowed to tie knots because that was work. But they they found a way to say, well, I'm untying, uh, uh, untying um, the you know an ox is is not law breaking. So they had created all these rules, rules to allow them to do certain things and not do certain other things. Yes, but yet even today, breaking off a piece of toilet paper and and would be you know, considered we, we would laugh at that. Yes, but that would be seen yeah. as work. Yeah, um, and, totally. And you go, uh, I've talked about this on the podcast in previous episodes once or twice. Uh, they have Shabbat elevators in Israel, so um, yes, that so stop at all the floors. Stop at all the floors. Yes, but. A smart Jew just gets in a Gentile elevator and asks a Gentile to press the floor for them so they can go straight to the floor they want, and they're not law-breaking. Yeah. That's crazy, uh, isn't know, it? It's crazy, right? But that's the point is that's that's the irony of this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, yeah, the, the the same motion of pulling down toilet paper <laughs> or pulling uh, a toilet, a box of pre-cut toilet paper, yep. it's the same motion. Yep. One's working and one's, one's not. not. Yeah, and you've seen it firsthand, having some yes. Jews up at the top. You've yes. told me before. Yeah, so and, and the, the level they will go to, and it, look, this, we can joke about it, but this is coming from a devoutness of want. Oh yes, they, 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 they want to fences please. around fences around fences so that we don't accidentally dishonor God. They, That's they, the intention. Totally, they they want to please. Yes, they want to make sure that they're honoring, mm. and it's coming out of a we want to make sure we do this right. Yes. But in that same time, they miss, like here, mm. they've missed the the purpose of yes. the the Sabbath is lost, and Jesus is reclaiming the Sabbath again. That's going, right. And the real purpose of the ha- that Sabbath was to do good for humans. Yes. It was to to give them freedom. Yeah, you've missed yes. the point. This lady is broken, and you've missed the freedom that he, she's he, needed. Jesus would turn around and actually say, "The Sabbath's the best day to be healed." <laughs> yeah, you know, the true yeah. meaning of Sabbath is. Is liberty, it's freedom. This is there is no better day in the week than the Sabbath to be healed in yeah. that sense. And yep. that's the one day you're saying they can't get healed. Yeah. You've missed oh. the point. You missed the spirit of Sabbath. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um oh wow. Okay, let's move to um oh, let's talk about some Pharisees. Oh <laughs> dear. Okay. Verse thirty one. At that very hour the Pharisees came and said to him. Oh, this is this is exciting. Okay, sorry. Let's before we get that. Um, so Jesus talks about the narrow door, uh, yep. and and basically talks about the kingdom going. Hey, it's a narrow pathway. It's a narrow door to get through. It's and few find it, and few are going to find it. Yep. Um, and and so and talks about the result of hey, if you don't find it, it's going to yep. the results are, are nasty. Yep. Um, and then. We talked about the Pharisees before. Of you know, not all the Pharisees seemed bad. No, no, that's right. Because in verse thirty-one, it says, "At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you." Now, this verse does you know like, it triggers me a little bit because the picture we've always got is that the fairies are bad they're yeah, bad yeah, they're corrupt yeah. two-faced all that sort of stuff um you know really they're old wine they're looking for new wine um and new wineskins these particular pharisees 
Um, they warned Jesus that Herod's after him. The question here was, was the risk for Jesus, was the risk too high for Jesus to give the kingdom to these Pharisees? Because it could get snuffed out and go back to the old ways. Mm. Or was it not risky enough? Hence why he chose the disciples that he did. That's a good question. I like the first part and then I like the second part even more because there's a tremendous risk in entrusting his kingdom to ordinary unschooled fishermen. Yeah. Um, but he's chosen that risk over the risk of entrusting it to knowledgeable people who are devout and wanting to do the right thing but potentially have got trapped in self-righteousness. Yeah. Wow. Well, the the implication is clearly he's he's better off working with rough and ready than he is working with tried and true and stayed that's immovable and not changeable, mm. yeah. like with old wineskins. He'd rather work with a new wineskin and have room to expand than an old wineskin who has no room to expand. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. What does that say for us? Like, you know, in light of what we were just saying before about being judgmental and critical and self-judgmental of people walking the door – who might not look like us or fit, fit, we think they fit with us. We should be, if we were Jesus, we'd be chasing down the new wineskins. Finally, some new wineskins. Yeah. I can put some new wine in there. I can't fit it in this old mob because they're all stuck in their ways. They're already pre-stretched. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's that's the question, right? It's like, hey, what's the risk? Like, we need to get risky again. That's great. I we love need it. to get risky again and go, hey, what, like that, that new, that new stuff, that, that new, Rough and ready. Let's yeah hand it over. I've recently just watched the um the Jesus Revolution. Yep. If you haven't watched it yet, uh, go watch it. I cry my way through that oh, movie. <laughs> what a movie! What a movie! Yeah. Um, that's a good example of a new wine skin. That uh, yeah. and you know what? It's not going to be the same again. No, because that new wine skin was fifty years ago. Fifty years ago. That's right. <laughs> that's like, right. Don't, Forty years don't, ago. You can't cut and paste it. No. So what's it going to look like? It's gonna it's gonna look totally different. It's gonna mm. look digital. Yes. I'm sorry to say, it's gonna yes, look yeah. digital. Yeah. And I don't know what that's going to look like in in a practical sense. I don't know, but it's not going to look the way it's done before, mm. and it's going to have a digital element to it that is going to make us all feel very uncomfortable. Yep, because it's not the same wine skin. Because Jesus, when he come, he never made anyone feel comfortable. No, that's right. When they were sitting in the the temple, yep. and he was healing on the Sabbath. Yep. Everyone felt uncomfortable. Great. Thought. But yet they all praised God afterwards mm. because he moved in a way that had never been done before. Yeah. So the thing is there were some people who had old wineskins that were able to make the transition. Yes. Um, and that's the call. You know, not many did, but some did. Yeah. And so for us, we need to be constantly asking ourselves, it's like the song, New Wine, isn't it? It's yep. like, Lord, make me a vessel and make get, put new wine in me. Well, we, God's not going to put new wine in us unless we uh, are prepared for a fresh stretch. That's right. To to be prepared to go, Lord, just because you did it that way back then doesn't mean you're going to do it that way again. Yeah, yeah. that's that's brilliant. And mm. then I've got a, a, a final question here. Um, oh, and this is the, the frustrating one, but why? And I I don't know where my verse my verse went. My verse is gone. But um, why didn't the disciples not? They just didn't understand when Jesus spoke to them about his death. Why didn't they understand or comprehend um, this? What was going on? What was going on? Was it a blockage 
of understanding that they that they were given so they couldn't understand it because if they did understand it too soon they may have either fell away mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they weren't going to endure it they knew that their their rabbi was going to be killed and yes. they likely would be trapped or, too or or, or they know. have you know fought you know against it or you know because Jesus was so clear, so clear. over and over yeah. again of you know the news of I'm you know I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm going to be killed like he says in verse 33 yesterday tomorrow and the next day um I'm going to be around yeah. and then you know the prophet of God will be killed um you know in Jerusalem, basically, he's yep. saying, "I've got to, I've got to leave here because I've got to be going. I've got to be killed in yep, Jerusalem. Be killed in Jerusalem, you know." And and they they hear it, but they don't get it. No, and he's all the way through. He's commenting on it. I I, I don't think it's quite that complicated. My my gut says, and scholars have probably debated about this. My gut says it's it's a wineskin issue. Mm. Um, and I just learned we were discussing this at length. We, our, our course that we were doing in Bible college last week was worldview, and we spent the half of the first day discussing how our worldviews, how our worldviews are our blinkers through which we see everything. So if your worldview is, and you've been raised to think your worldview is Messiah beats the Rome, right? Messiah kicks out the Romans. Yeah. Okay. Messiah wins. doesn't matter how many times you hear something, you have no frame of reference for that thing because it's so far outside your worldview. It's like it just passes straight through the keeper. And I think that's more what's going on is, is that they just did not have a frame of reverence. They were an old wineskin. Their old wineskin was Messiah, when Messiah comes, Messiah will. Now they, they've accepted Messiah, but they're expecting Jesus to come and lead a military yeah. campaign. New kingdom. and New kingdom. And usher in the kingdom in Jerusalem and boot the Romans out. So they have no frame of reference for a dying Messiah. That's why the two walk into the road of Emmaus later in this chapter, later in the book of Luke, still don't figure it out. And Jesus explains to them that the Messiah had to die. It says he's beginning with beginning with Abraham, Moses, and all the prophets. He he describes how the Messiah had to die and then enter his kingdom because they just couldn't see that. It was a, it was there, but their their worldview didn't allow for it. I think that's all that's going on. Yeah. Okay. But that tells us the same thing. We've got to watch that our worldviews don't get in the way. Wow. Yeah. Totally. Mm. So the provision. Yep. That's in uh, Luke, where are Luke 13, 13. Uh, is healing, repentance, love, patience, compassion, hope, and justice. Wonderful. Mm. Great. Well done, Shannon. So much meat in all of that. Yes. And we really only just scratched the surface of some of those chapters. Oh, totally. We did, there's no deep dive in there. <laughs> Three and a half hours later and we've only done a shallow, we're only, in the, we're only in the shallow end, so there's plenty more. I did say to Shannon in the break between one of our chapters, Jeannie, Shannon's giving you a run for your money. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeannie. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for being with us. And thank, thank you. you, Shannon. Next no, year we'll pleasure. be doing five chapters, so it'll be a little shorter, but we'll get you back. We'd love to get you back. I've had a lot of fun and I love the way you think. It's one of the great things for me has just been hearing different ways people think this year, so... Thank you. My pleasure. It's been wonderful. Oh, no worries. We'll see you all next time.